Welcome, everyone, to episode four of season three of Recreational Thinking with Yogesh Rao. Thank you to our top Patreon subscriber, Darren Monk, and all the other Patreon supporters, Adam Hahn, Christine Welchel, Andrew Darby, Ben Rothenberg, Patrick Friel, Jeremy Horwitz, Dargan Ware, Anthony Garino, Adam Villani, Peter Broda, David Croissant, Mike Jesiorski, Tim Robert Gomez, Rene Carignan, The Soccer Thread Podcast, David Glasser, Henry Stringer, Marnie Helfrich, Caroline Rothney, Jack Rousseau, Anonymous, I'm pretty sure I know who Anonymous is, but she wants to be Anonymous. Spencer Burnett McGrath, Forrest Lightheart, Gregory Faino, and David Plotkin. A few more I may, there may be too many for me to read out at the beginning of the episode. To anyone listening, your name could go here. Sign up at patreon.com slash recreational thinking. Special thanks also to my brainstorming partner for this episode, Kate Stevenson. I'm very particular about who I let into the writing process, but she's earned it. And our guests today are... Aaron Portman, Vince Bacani, and Jimmy Daverin. Is that right? That is. All right. And so remember, that order is arbitrary, but it'll be consistent throughout the game. So if now going in that order, if each of you could briefly state where you're Zooming from and approximately one sentence about yourself, starting with Aaron. Sure. I'm a high school English teacher. I work in Plainfield, Illinois. I am currently joining all of you lovely people from Downers Grove, Illinois. So... Western suburb mania here. Very, very uh, strong distinctions between those suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> very different flavors, for sure. Exactly. Yes. All right. Vince. Hi, I'm Vince McCanny. I'm a risk manager from Montreal, Quebec, formerly a chemical engineer as well. And I come here with full expectations to be once again humiliated by Aaron Portman, who beat me on Jeopardy. But no hard feelings, no grudges. All right. We have an international game now. And Jimmy? Hi, I'm Jimmy Daverin, and I am Zooming from the Coronado Cays of Coronado, California, just a, a little bit, tiny bit south of San Diego, and I'm doing it in a room that is currently under construction. I just put up that fan today, hmm. and I'm a Catholic school, middle school teacher, social studies and religion. Cool. Yeah. And you also have a, a baby on your lap, I can see. If they do say anything, we'll, I think, probably hold the record for our youngest guest. Yeah. And and just for uh, for listeners, if these names sound familiar, all three, Vince, Aaron, and Jimmy, are people who I met while taping Jeopardy. They were in my taping group. Jimmy, I competed directly against, and we both lost as <laughs> to a third contestant, as listen- as viewers will recall. I don't yeah. recall. I, I lost that part. <laughs> <laughs> Only the good memories. Right. Yeah. It all just goes by in such a flash. And then it's over. You're like, oh, did I win? No. Okay. Bye then. All right. So this game's in four rounds, one individual, three specialists. The first round I call the three R's round. It allows me to reduce, reuse, and recycle prime material. These questions mostly serve as a warm up in scare quotes, not because they are easy. They're often some of the most difficult of the game, but you know, that is that is a way of warming up by doing stuff that's really difficult. And the laws we worth a tenth of a point as tiebreaker is necessary. Only once in previous game has it been necessary, but that option's there. So for this round only, you will answer as individual. So if the first person the question is directed at misses, it'll go to the second, then the third if the first two miss. The further back you are, the less of a direct shot you have, the more time you have to think, and potential answers could get taken off the table. And then we'll rotate, so each of you will answer three questions in first position, three in second, three in third. Then the rules will change, and I will explain that when that happens. I'll also just remind everyone of the quote-unquote Jimmy Lee rule, that basically to prevent people from just sort of passing without really taking a shot. You, you have to give some answer for every question or an explanation of why you don't want to give an answer, just to show you put some thought into it. 
And then just a general reminder, the content of the podcast is you talking through your thinking process. So don't internalize your thinking. Feel free to share interesting connections, thoughts, whatever. But you don't have to talk just for the sake of talking. We don't need filler. And I will, these questions, some of them are quite long. I will be copying and pasting them into the chat. Sometimes it'll take more than one copy paste. So we'll start now with Aaron in first position. But this question is somewhat inspired by Vince's nationality, as we have a Canadian contestant here. So the first two questions will both relate to the stars of the recently premiered Canadian detective series Wong and Winchester, which centers on two mismatched women, a rough-and-tumble ex-cop and a naive wallflower. Together, they fight crime. Okay, so the first question. The role of Wong is played by Grace Lynn Kung. Back in 2006, Kung acted in the Toronto premiere of Marjorie Chan's stage play A Nanking Winter as Irene Wu, a character based on journalist Iris Chang. Chang is the author of the historical books The Threat of the Silkworm, The Rape of Nanking, and The Chinese in America, before she tragically committed suicide in November 2004. Later questions will be a bit more lighthearted, but we'll start here on a somewhat somber note. Even though it is unlikely they ever moved in the same circles, Iris Chang is inextricably linked in my mind with what rapper? Like her, he was born in 1968, and he died just four days after her tragic suicide in his case of a drug overdose. Reading their obituary as a college student back in 2004, I couldn't help but be struck by how these two talented people of color, both of whom struggled with chronic mental illness, and both of whom produced work radiating anger and authenticity, walked such similar yet different paths and ended up in the same sad place, despite coming from such incommensurable backgrounds. Oh, fascinating. I was sure that this was going to be a question I had no idea about because I this is the first I've heard of this television series, this writer, this stage play, any of it. And then you went and made it a rap question, which I know even less about. So perfect. <laughs> um, gosh, 2004 drug overdose. Okay. There's a person that's coming to my head and I don't remember what their name is. I feel like a psychic right now. Gosh. You remember the but first letter and then... <laughs> I remember the name of the group that I associate him with, and I don't know that it's right. <laughs> I don't remember any pieces of that besides, and I don't think that that's even right. It's two people. No, and it's not. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Sorry, this is just me being silent and going through the alphabet in my mind. It doesn't make, yeah. make for particularly useful podcasting material, though. No, I'm not. I'm not going to come up with it. Yeah, anything just, that's I'll silent. Just, I'll just go with Smith. That's, that's is a good strategy. It has taken some people longer than it took you to figure out that it was a good strategy. But I don't. I don't believe that was his name. Although there are some. There's a surprising number of of notable rappers whose real sure. na name actually is Smith. But I don't think this person's is. So I'll pass the question to Vince. First, I have to say that's not a very nice welcome to Canadians. I've never, I've only heard of this show. I've not even seen a commercial of it, and I watch Canadian television. <laughs> so going on this rap question, boy, another another comfort zone for me. So I have to go just on the facts of 1968, scarily close to my own birthday. So he would be, I'm assuming it's a he, maybe not. I'm assuming this rapper then is 55, so... And a well, dead rapper of a suicide. So, gosh, I know so few rappers and Tupac was shot, right? So the only rapper I know who's surely dead is Notorious B.I.G. So that's my guess. All right. Yeah, I think he and Tupac famously died around the same time in the mid-90s. So a little little earlier than 2004. Oh, oh 2004. Uh, well, I don't know anyone 2004 anyway. Uh, so that's fine. There you go. All right. Jimmy? 
Yeah, 2004 is definitely hard because that's almost 20 years ago at this point. And that's back when I was, I was like, oh. everybody like listens to rap, but like, I don't even like rap. I only listen <laughs> to classic rock. And I know it's not Tupac and I know it's not Biggie because again, yeah, they're getting shot. So I'm in terms of, and I, I know that it's definitely not like Flavor Flav because he had a TV show after that, I'm pretty sure. So that's, he's out. Chucky e. D's pretty sure still alive. So I don't think it's anybody in Run DMC. I'm going to go with ODB, Old Dirty Bastard. I don't know yeah. if I'm allowed to say that <laughs> or if that gets censored out, but that's where I'm going. I think that's a fairly mild one, but yeah, we'll just stick with calling him ODB. Why not? <laughs> ODB. Yeah. Yeah, so he was uh, from Staten Island, I think, with the rest of the Wu-Tang. He was a member of the Wu-Tang Clan Collective. And he was, uh, I think, the first one, maybe the only one of them who's passed away. And yes, he uh, he died in 2004 of a drug overdose. And he is the correct answer to this question. Yes. <laughs> yes. There we and, go. Yeah. And I Googled it just now. Apparently, his, actually, his birth surname was Jones, not Smith. So way, way, could, way off. <laughs> could have really locked myself into one there. Yeah, I believe LL Cool J is Smith, and at least a few other famous ones. Sure. Why All not? Right. But Vince, now, moving now to a less somber note, Winchester in Wong and Winchester is depicted by Sophia Banzaf, who in 2019 directed a short film that played at TIFF called I Am in the World as Free and Slender as a Deer on a Plane, which I, I like almost one of this year's Oscar-nominated short films is called An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It, or something like that. I'm a big fan of long titles that are complete sentences. But anyway, the same year, 2019, Sofia Banzoff had a small part in an episode of CBC's long-running Murdoch Mysteries. Which actor appeared in both that episode, playing the recurring character Detective Llewellyn Watts, and in her short film? It might help to know that he shares a surname with his much more famous Emmy-winning Sistra. Okay, so not heard of this short film. I do know Murdoch Mysteries, and I could say the lead actor's name. I've only watched it once and I really did not like it. So there were no repeat viewings. <laughs> so recurring character beats the heck out of me. But famous Emmy winning Sestra. So huh. Emmy winning, not not Gemini winning or Canadian screen actors winning. So either a Canadian who has had American success or an American who's not had who's suffering a little bit lately. So, but with a sister, the sister is Emmy winning. And uh, let me think. So Canadian-American brother-sister combination, Emmy winning. So Canadians who won Emmys, I can only think of Sandra Oh. So I will, I don't even know if there is an Asian actor on Murdoch Mysteries, but they have so many anachronisms. Anyway, I will say Oh. Okay, good. Last name Oh. Good guess. I, I see your logic, but that's not correct. So I'll pass to Jimmy. I know essentially nothing in this clue, even including the word sistra, which is clearly like sister. We're talking Latin root here, but I don't actually recognize the the language. So I'm going to assume then that it's Portuguese. And so I'm going to go with a Portuguese last name that I know and go with Carvalho. Oh, interesting. Like Auli Carvalho, who sang the, the song from Moana. Yes, I see your logic there, but not correct. He'll pass to Aaron. Yeah, I, I'm also reading that Sistra word and not recognizing language. It feels definitely like a clue, but it's one that I'm not picking up on. 
So having never heard of this TV show and struggling mightily to come up with any Canadian actors, it's for whatever reason, all the Canadian actors coming to my mind are men, which is not particularly helpful. But Rachel McAdams is from Canada, so we'll go McAdams. Yeah, this was actually the use of that word. I originally just wrote sister, and it was actually Kate who suggested to me. That's why I credited her at the beginning. She suggested sister because apparent. So that is the Ukrainian word for sister. It is apparently also a meme. One of the so this this woman's on the show for which she won the Emmy. She played multiple characters who were all clones of each other, and apparently one of those clones is Ukrainian and. Oh refers to her as Sestra, and it's become kind of a meme with the vowel stretched out among fans of the show. You know what show I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah that's Black. Orphan Black. Orphan Black? Is that... yes. Tatiana so Maslany. Yeah, so, so his sister is Tatiana Maslany. His name, I think, is Daniel Maslany, but she's the more famous one. And you just needed the last name, but none of you were able to come up with no, that. I haven't watched the show. <laughs> yeah, Me. it's kind of a cult, cult following. Yeah. All right. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy now, who is the direct namesake of element 103 on the periodic table, as well as a namesake of the namesakes of element 97 and element 116. He is not the namesake of element 98, but that element's namesake has since been renamed for him. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Oh, man, if I just if I just had a large poster of the periodic table here in this <laughs> office, this question would be so much easier. Okay. These are some heavy elements. We're thinking of things like, got to be looking at things like Einsteinium or Californium. There's a different, oh God, no, there's a bunch of, there are a bunch that are like related to the same guy and like where he's from, I think. Because Germanium, no, that element's namesake has since been renamed for him. Oh, there are so many things just, they're just, they're, they're swirling around and they're colliding like atoms. And yet they're not doing... They're not doing anything for me at the moment. I'm going to go with, oh, what's his name? I know I'm going to have to go with, with Einstein because that's just, it keeps popping in there and I know it's not right. All right. Yeah. Well, there is an Einsteinium, but yeah, not the, not the correct answer here. So pass to Aaron. I believe Einsteinium is element number 99. There was a time in my life when I had the entire periodic table of the elements memorized for reasons truly passing understanding. And I'm trying to double check based on my visualization of that still, but I believe that this is going to be, we're looking for element 103. So it's going to be Laurentium, I believe, but I got to double check that here. So 118 Oganesson, back up six to get to 112 Copernicium. And then this is the weird bit where the transition metals aren't actually 10 across, they're nine across because we got to fit in the actinides. So you back up nine from 112. Yes. So Laurentium is the end of the actinides. So that's going to be Laurentium. I don't know his first name, but Lawrence. That's very impressive. Yeah, I, I at most have maybe the first, I don't know, 20 or so memorized. I, <laughs> they make uh, nice little like almost poem sounds once you start getting into the nonsense ones. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I maybe someday I will. But yeah, I mean, that is a perfectly legitimate way to get there. The two sort of big you know, national research laboratories in California named for him are Lawrence Berkeley and Lawrence Livermore, which are the namesakes of Berkelium and Livermorium. Nice. Yeah. Californium, I think one of them used to be called like the California something laboratory and Californium is named after it. So that was the fourth one there. But I thought it was impressive that not only did he have two, not only did he have an element name for him, he had two elements named for things named after him. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that was an excellent job of answering. All right. Uh, and now you get this question directed at you. 
The highest scoring NBA player born in what is now mainland China is not, surprisingly, Yao Ming. Rather, it is Tom Meshery, born in 1938 to Russian emigrant parents in what was then Japanese-occupied Manchukuo. What city, whose Russian influence can be seen in its picturesque St. Sophia Cathedral, was his birthplace? Nowadays, millions visit this city annually for its famed winter festival. Hmm. This would really require knowing some cities in China besides the two big ones that I can remember the names of. And I don't think that it's either of them. I can't think of... Hmm. No. I'm not going to get up to anything. So I'm just going to say Beijing, even though it's definitely not Beijing. All right. But at least you followed the Jamili rule. Vince? Okay. So if we're looking for a Chinese city with a winter festival, I'm thinking of Chinese pair figure skating. And the center of that is one particular city. So Shen and Zhao, Pang and Tong both train there. I don't know where it is geographically, but uh, it's the only one I can think of that actually I can be sure has winter. So my guess is Harbin. So geographically, Harbin is in Manchuria, the region now called Manchuria, which is where the puppet state of Manchukuo was located. So yes, that is correct. And now each of you have one right. I'm always worried this round will turn out to be a shutout, which only happened once before in 43 episodes, but I'm always worried about it happening. But not only not only is the round in total not a shutout, none of you are going to be shut out because you've each answered a question correctly. All right. So I believe Vince now in first position on this one. Yeah. In January 2019, what Australian radio TV personality replaced Alex Albrecht to join Alison Hazlip in hosting the Half Hour Happy Hour podcast? Depending on your generation, you might be more familiar with her uncle, who was Minister for the Environment, Heritage, and the Arts, and then Minister for School Education, Early Childhood, and Youth, while serving as an Australian Labour Party MP from 2004 to 2013, but was already world-famous well before then as a rock musician. That's her uncle uh -huh. was a rock, a rock musician, if that's not clear. So hopefully the uncle has the same last name, which I'm assuming you're kind enough to allow for, because that's the only part of this question where I have a chance of identifying. So a rock musician from Australia, and boy, so rock, ACDC, God, I can't imagine Angus Young as a politician, but maybe I think there was more than one of them in that band. So maybe the bassist was socially acceptable. So I will say Young. Uh, good guess, but not correct. So pass to Jimmy. I'm going to go, though, in the exact same, same vein. But yeah, if it's not Angus Young, it's not Malcolm Young. I'm still, my brain's just going to say ACDC. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Johnson in terms of Brian Johnson, because it's Definitely not Bon Scott. Yeah, and also that's, I mean, a good uh, good generic surname to guess. I think in the, the previous episode, people passed up the opportunity to guess Johnson. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, again, both good logic and a good strategy, but unfortunately not the correct answer. So pass to Aaron. Oof, boy. Don't know any other rock musicians from Australia. So that's really a problem. So we'll just go Smith just for the sake of my brain's not going anywhere else. Fair enough, yeah. Does anyone remember which which Australian band that had success, I guess, on US charts, had very sort of politically charged music, especially with regard to like Aboriginal rights? Midnight Oil. Right. And who, yeah, and who was the, oh, who was the lead name? vocalist of Midnight Oil? The bald guy. What's his yes. name? Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter something. Yeah. Peter, oh, I don't know. Yeah, his name was Peter Garrett. His niece is named Maud Garrett, but Garrett was all I was looking for. All right. 
Jimmy now on this question. Since December 5th, 2002, former Olympic figure skater Michelle Kwan has been the official U.S. ambassador to which English-speaking North American nation? Okay. December 5th, Michelle Kwan, U.S. ambassador to an English-speaking North American nation. You are never going to be the official U.S. ambassador to your own country. So the U.S. is out. I'm... I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to go off. I'm going to go off on a hard left here. Cause it's just, I hear English speaking North American nation. And I always, I always go with the fun fact. You're like, well, you know, the official language of Belize is English. So I'm going to go with Belize. And you will go correctly to Belize. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My friend drew a contact. He was like, this is a great fact for your blog that Michelle Kwan is now the U.S. ambassador to Belize. And I was like, yes, you know my interest well. That is exactly the kind of fun fact I like looking for. And that that is actually, it's a fact that is actually fun. I love mm-hmm. that. That's really yeah. fun. All right. So one last cycle. So each of you will be in first position one more time before the rules change. So we start with Aaron in first position here. Named for a squash court at Wesleyan University, Court 13 is the filmmaking collective behind 2012 Best Picture Oscar nominee Beasts of the Southern Wild. One member of Court 13, Ray Tintori, directed the music videos for all three singles from which indie rock band's 2007 album, Oracular Spectacular. Perhaps the most famous of those videos features Joanna Newsom as a toddler's massively inattentive mother. Oh boy. So 2007 was right before I started paying much attention to music, unfortunately. So I'm not 100% remembering any album named Oracular Spectacular. And there's a video with a toddler who's not getting any attention paid to them. The Beast of the Southern Wild. Yikes. Okay, I'm not going to come up. So we're looking for the band. Okay, band. There's something that's coming into my head and I can't remember their name. So that's useless. So I'll just say Modest Mouse. All right. Good guess, but incorrect. Past events. Okay. You realize when I was a lad, independent indie music included you two. <laughs> so this is a bit of a stretch. 2007, maybe I will have at least heard of it. So I have no idea what type of music they record. So I'm just going to come with what hit me as a lightning bolt as Death Cab for Cutie. Okay. I think they were big around that time, so not a bad guess, but incorrect. Pass to Jimmy. Strangely enough, I think I've seen this music video, and I have no idea what the band is at all. So I'm gonna I'm gonna know that it's not like the OK Go because their famous video is Treadmills, and we all know that it's not Fountains of Wayne because Stacy's mom is gonna be the video. I'm gonna just go with like. Florence and the Machine. All right. Yeah. I think I had a question. I think in episode 21 about Isabella Summers, who was the machine from Florence and the Machine. But yeah, this video, it's surprisingly disturbing. I mean, they, they actually had to release behind the scenes footage because people were freaking out about the fact that a toddler was involved with like these kind of monsters with really grotesque and disturbing makeup. And they had to like release behind the scenes video of the toddler like playing with them so people would, would see it wasn't disturbed. And uh, yeah, Joanna Newsom, who's not a member of this group, I think is a uh, wife of Andy Samberg and a noted harpist, among other instruments, almost unrecognizable as the mother who clearly not paying attention to the child, which is being menaced by all these monsters. But the song was called Kids and the group, I believe they pronounced their name Management, but it's spelled M-G-M-T. The other singles, I want to say Electric Feel and Time to Pretend. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, Electric Feel. Yeah, those names ring bells. I thought it was M-G-M-T, so I learned something. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Maybe they do say MGMT, but I think I read somewhere that it's supposed to be pronounced management, but spelled MGMT. Future Yogesh here. I was mistaken about that detail. Although they were at one point in the past known as the management, they do in fact pronounce their name MGMT. All right, who are we now? Vince. Okay. Relief pitcher Araldus Chapman recently made headlines by somehow joining the roster of Great Britain for the upcoming 2023 World Baseball Classic. It is relatively well known he defected from his native Cuba in 2009 while at the World Port Tournament in Rotterdam, Netherlands. However, when he began his Major League Baseball career by signing with the Cincinnati Reds in 2010, he was legally a resident of which microstate? Okay, so since the only clue I have is microstate that limits it so which would it be for a Cuban so where did he defect he defected in Rotterdam what's close to so while he was there he somehow arranged his defection so Luxembourg is close why would they take him so cute which one Cuba they speak Spanish which microstate speaks Spanish this doesn't Oh, shoot. Doesn't Andorra speak Spanish? Let's see. So Monica would be Italian. The other possibility, if he's Cuban, he's Catholic. Could he have somehow gotten into the Vatican? Ah, so it's one of the two. But does the Vatican care about baseball? I'm going to say no. So to go out of the way for one athlete, everyone would do it. So I will go with Andorra. All right. I believe they actually speak Catalan mostly in Andorra, but nonetheless, it's the correct answer. So good job. <laughs> All right. That's where a lot of cyclists train because apparently their taxes are very weird. Hmm. Plus mountains. Right. Yes. Uh, all right, so uh, finish out the round with this first to Jimmy, and we've traversed many different subject areas, but uh, we began with a promising young woman who tragically committed suicide, and we will end this round with a different promising young woman whose life was tragically cut short. All right, Jimmy. Upon learning of the April 1994 suicide of her good friend Kurt Cobain, Kristen Pfaff resolved to return to her previous city of residence, Minneapolis, and get clean. However, while visiting her Seattle apartment to collect some belongings, she tragically suffered a fatal overdose in June 1994 at the age of 27. As a result, she remains best known musically for playing bass and piano on which band's, unfortunately named in retrospect, 1994 album, Live Through This? Ooh. I, uh, I don't know. I do not know. So... Previous city of residence, Minneapolis, that could be its own clue to say that, you know, that could be where she is also then playing bass and piano. So if you're like 1994, Minneapolis, Vince, Aaron, that this could be, those could be some clues for you guys. You could, you could think about that. I am definitely going to say that it's, it's obviously not. It's not Nirvana. It's not going to be Pearl Jam because that's also just Seattle. I'm Minneapolis. In, I Soundgarden. Is that your answer? Yes. All right. I see the logic there, but it's not correct. So pass to Aaron. Yeah. The only other band that I'm associating with that era is Pearl Jam. And my memory is what Jimmy said, that that's also a, a Northwest thing. So I don't know why we would mention Minneapolis, except for that that's where she was planning to move back for it. So just for the sake of redundancy, I'll say Pearl Jam. All right. Again, I see your logic, but also not correct. So Vince, to finish off the round. I can't believe it. This is actually an album that I own. Of course, 1994. Yes, I played it on my Walkman cassette player. This is, so 
An association that might come to mind is Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. And Courtney Love started the band Hole, and this is their album. So my answer is Hole. Yeah. So in Minneapolis, Kristen Pfaff played with a band, I think, called Janitor Joe, and she had returned to touring with them at the time of her her death. But she was basically recruited to come to Seattle by the members of Hole after their first album to play on their second album. Yeah. So that was how she knew Kurt Cobain through his wife, Courtney Love. Hole is correct. Yes. All right. So we end that round. It looks like Aaron 0.1, Vince 0.3, Jimmy 0.2. So Two-thirds of the, I was afraid this, you know, I'm always afraid of a shutout, but no, two-thirds of the questions were answered correctly. And you all end up on different scores. So if it is necessary to have a tiebreaker, the tie actually will be broken because you have different scores. All right. So we move now into the first round of the main game. I call it the not all that hard round since the, the difficulty is supposed to escalate as the game goes on, but it's never really easy as you've probably picked up on by now. So in this round and all successive rounds, each of you will get three specialist questions related to the categories you've submitted. Standard caveat, it's not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of the category. The questions may relate directly or obliquely. To keep everyone on their toes, I won't reveal the categories until they become evident. Before you can answer, your opponents will get to work together to try and steal the points from you. So you only get a chance to answer for points if your opponents miss. If I pass it to you without saying whether they got it right, if you know for a fact that they got it right, you can just confirm that. Otherwise, it's in your interest to say something different because you're not going to get any points if you just copy their answer. And there will sometimes be bonuses, occasional extra questions of people who are stolen from. They'll go at some, but not all stolen questions. They're unevenly and quasi-randomly sprinkled into the game, just another element of chance. They will relate to the question that was asked. They won't always fit into the same category, and they probably won't be at the same level of difficulty. It could be easier or harder. So these questions in this round are not all that hard. They'll be worth two points as a steal, one point as a specialist, and now and for the rest of the game, points will go to both stealers if a question is stolen, even if only one knows the answer. So yet another way that chance plays a role in the game. It's not a strict meritocracy or anything. It's just a game. But like I said, we're all here to show off knowledge and passion, not to compete, obviously. So if everyone is ready, we will begin with Vince and Jimmy to try and steal from Aaron. You ready? Ready. All right. All right. So here's a question. The West Wing's third season finale, Posse Comitatus, sees President Bartlett attend a Broadway show. Although the production he's attending is fictitious and the song performed by the cast within the episode is taken from a completely separate show, the play that he attends is real. First staged in 1963 by the Royal Shakespeare Company under Peter Hall, it was adapted by John Barton from four Shakespeare history plays. Which war is it named after? Okay, so we're looking for... uh, Go go ahead, Jimmy. I was just saying, we're just looking for the name of a war here. That's what we're... Yeah. Okay. Somehow it comes, the show is named after the war, so we come up with the show name. Oh, yeah. Which war is it named after? So anything ring a bell as far as so I the think play of, itself is not, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was, I was just, I think of like Shakespeare history plays where they have your different, like Richard the second and these things and all the Henry's. And I think of like the war of the roses basically is like the main sort of war that I think in terms of some of these sort of more like British Shakespeare history plays. I mean, that would be, that would be my guess too, since war of the roses, that's what Tudor and, and York, so that would cover like Richard the Third-ish. Yeah. So, and that does sound like a. I mean, we know the movie that was made from it, so it is a very catchy title. Let's see if we can uh, get anything else from these, this clue again. So, posse comitatus. Does that mean 
So Did that's we get anything way, from that? Well, that's like Latin, though, in that way, which makes me think of like Julius Caesar. Is that considered a history? Is that considered a tragedy? I thought it was considered a tragedy. Okay. Um, and well, that's interesting. So can we think of any plays, though, like any specific plays that come from Julius Caesar? I've seen it sometimes listed as a history, too. Well, so, I see, I think of Caesar, Caesar happens at the same time as like Antony and Cleopatra. Yeah. They're all alive at the same time, but I don't then know if there's, there's a particular no... like, war that things are being named after at that time either. There's just like Romans no. fighting people all the time, which is like, it's not like an official war name. I don't think, well, I mean, I read Julius, we studied that in school. I don't think it's mostly about the assassination. And that's mostly, they had time to assassinate him because there was no war. Mm-hmm. So, and given it's Shakespeare Company, I'm going to, I don't know. I like, what other wars could it possibly be? I have nothing in my brain. I don't that. think, I don't think the 30 years war, the 100 years war could be covered in a single play. But because right. Though the production uh, is, is the song take from the cast. Because if it's cast. adapted by John Barton from four Shakespeare history plays, it could draw four different histories that like don't actually connect with each other within something like a hundred years war and shove those in together for whatever the John Barton play is. Right. That's true. I don't know. First instinct is right, since we're kind of guessing anyways, War of the Roses. Let's do it. Okay. War of the Roses. Okay. Aaron kept a very good poker face when you mentioned that. I think, I mean, based on the Shakespeare history, I feel like the two plausible options are either Hundred Years' War or War of the Roses. And this was adapted from Richard III and the three parts of Henry VI that would set during the Wars of the Roses. Yeah. That's true. Drawing on one of the categories I thought about pulling, which was the Tudors. Perfect oh. intersection. I want to say that the song was pulled from Nicholas Nickleby also, and that Roger Reese came up as like a crossover between the show The West Wing and then the, the show that the song is from. So you actually, you anticipated my bonus then. I was going to Hi. ask. <laughs> it was from, yeah, it's from Stephen Oliver's song score for David Edgar's adaptation of Life and Times of Nicholas Nickleby, which famously took, takes eight and a half hours to stage in its entirety. Which sounds like about as long as all of Henry VI parts and <laughs> Richard III. Ideal. All right. So I will give, I'll give you credit for the bonus on that. And now we move well, to Aaron and Jimmy. Yeah. Yep. Aaron and Jimmy to try and steal from Vince. And this is, uh, this is a format I don't think I've ever tried before on this podcast, so let's see how it works. The main Wikipedia article for the Mary Tyler Moore show lists eight central characters depicted by eight central cast members, Mary Tyler Moore, Edward Asner, Gavin McLeod, Ted Knight, Valerie Harper, Cloris Leachman, Georgia Engel, and Betty White. Now, for maybe the first time ever on this podcast, here's a multiple-choice question. Who is the only member of that octet to never be nominated for an Emmy for their performance on the Mary Tyler Moore show? No, oh, but it's an eight-part multiple-choice, so that's... Yes. And then there's also key in this, who's the only member of that octet to never be nominated for an Emmy for their performance on the Mary Tyler Moore show, not in 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 general. general. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which makes me lean almost maybe towards like Betty White because she has had such a story or had such a storied career beyond the show. I don't know. I don't know about her award nominations elsewhere. Yeah, right? Like if she got it for, say, you know, the Golden Girls. Yeah, which feels like you gotta, right? But I also don't, yeah, I don't. mm. I saw Betty White speak for a little bit once. She was doing a thing at UCLA and and I just, I hopped in motion. She was talking about 
the U.S. like Forest Service and like wanting to be a park ranger. Wild. She wasn't talking about all the yummies that she won for her various television work. Not when I was there. No, Uh, (laughs) I was really hoping it would go to who wanted to be a park ranger. Yeah. And I would have said Betty White for sure. Betty White for sure. Mary Tyler Moore is out. Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and just say she had to have won. At least been nominated. nominated. Yeah, for sure nominated. And I think Edward Asner too. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) I don't know any other reason to go with any of the other ones besides your thought that like they weren't nominated for this show, but that maybe they had one elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, my only other reason would be like, Pick a name where I'm like, who is Gavin McLeod? I don't know who that is. Yeah. I can say that and be like, I doubt his acting ability. Maybe he's the best. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. No, that's a lot of these names for me. Yeah. Cloris Leachman's funny. She probably got nominated for the Mary Tyler Moore. I'd say Cloris Leachman's out. Okay. All right. Let's go with Betty White. Let's Let's do it. Let's go with Betty White. Let's do it. Let's go with Betty White. Yeah. All right. So for the purposes of suspense, I will keep silent about that and pass it to Vince. Sorry, it's not Betty White. She won twice for the Mary Tyler Moore show. So boy, do I feel old. Let me get that out of the way. So yes, Mary Tyler Moore won at least twice. I know one year she tied with Carol Burnett. And she said that was such a great honor to share the award with her. Ed Asner won at least twice, possibly three times. And I think he holds the distinction for being the only actor to win Emmys for the same role in both a comedy and a drama the drama Lou Grant, which was a serious journalism show. Ted Knight also won at least once or twice. He played the the anchor, Ted, the ditzy anchor, Ted Baxter. So if you know uh, the William Hurt character from Broadcast News, that's essentially Ted Baxter. Valerie Harper, who died of cancer recently, spun off to Rhoda. She also won. I believe she was the first of the, it had such a strong cast. Uh, obviously, everybody got nominated. Cloris Leachman, you're correct. She did win as well so for and betty white yeah we already said she won twice so for me the choice is between gavin mcleod that's captain stooping on the love boat so on the mary tyler moore show he was kind of the second banana he sat in the desk next to mary richards mary tyler moore and he was the wisecracker uh that's all he did so it was all very one note performance so against really colorful actors like ted knight and ed asner it was really tough for him to even get a nomination, although he was very good. He was very funny. But I do recall an episode. So you know that Emmy nominations, they, they go by episodes. There was one episode where he had a gambling addiction and it wasn't so funny, but it was very dramatic. So I could see him getting nominated for that. Like towards the end of, of, the, of the series run, you could tell they were trying to set him up for a nomination because clearly he was not getting nominated. So I think he might've snuck in there and gotten one at the end. And George Engel, who was Ted Baxter's wife, you might know her from Everybody Loves Raymond. She's the uh, mother-in-law of Robert, the one who smokes, Christian fundamentalist. You know, she's just she's a very one-note character. She's a ditz, and that's it. A very kind-hearted ditz. Although one episode, she sings Fever, and it's very good. But she also came into the show relatively late because she married Ted Baxter kind of half towards the second half of the show. I'm going to say she never got nominated. So I think Gavin McLeod snuck in with the alcoholism stroke pity vote and georgia engel is the one who never got nominated 
Yeah, I see when you mentioned his role on The Love Boat, there was no recognition at all from Aaron or Jimmy. Oh, my <laughs> to, God. To not, to not change. I've heard Don't of tell the, him that now. being oh a my TV God. show. <laughs> I, the Love Boat I haven't was seen not an episode arc. of any of the TV shows we've talked about here in this relation to this question. Yeah, I know so The I, Love Boat more of like, there were, I've seen like old episodes of like Saturday Night Live parodying. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It, <laughs> yeah, I'd also collect, I think, Bernie Coppell, who was the villain on one of my favorite sitcoms of the 60s, Get Smart. But yeah, so actually, Ed, Ed Asner, Valerie Harper, and Cloris Leafman, not only did, were they at least nominated, and I think probably won for Mary Tyler Moore Show, they all actually won Emmys for playing their characters from the Mary Tyler Moore Show on their own spinoff. Wow. Which, which is, yeah, pretty impressive. But yeah, Betty White and Georgia Engel, their characters weren't spun off, but right after it ended, Betty White did get the Betty White show. I don't know if you've seen that, Vince. It only ran 13 episodes. But Georgia Engel was also on it. They liked their chemistry so much, they kept them on that show as well. But yeah, I mean, you narrowed it down correctly. Georgia Engel was, I think, nominated for three Emmys for her role on Everybody Loves Raymond. She was also nominated twice for playing Georgette on the uh, oh. Tyler Moore show. It was Gavin oh, McLeod. God. Yeah. Oh, Oh, Should have gone with uh, your your doubts there, Jimmy. <laughs> I don't, don't know who that is. <laughs> Doubt his acting. Yep. All right. Oh, I uh, missed the layup. Hi, this is Future Yogish. Regarding the claim that Vince made earlier, I believe Ed Asner is the only person to win comedy and drama Emmys for playing the same character on two different series. However, Uzo Aduba did win Emmys for playing Crazy Eyes on Orange is the New Black in both the comedy and drama categories. All right, Vince and Aaron now to try and steal from Jimmy. According to the 2002 Disney film Lilo and Stitch, X means family, and family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. What Hawaiian word have I replaced with X? Oh, I love this line. My kid, my like my students talk like this all the time. It was I think like the high school marching band had like a Disney thing a couple years ago. And so they like this is like their slogan. And so it's gonna be really bad if I mess this up. But I think that it is Ohana. Does that ring any bells for you, Vince? That sounds good. I have not seen this movie. I do not see it. Good movie. Hawaii. I recommend um, it. But it sounds Hawaiian enough for me, and I'm going with you on this. So okay. you think it's Ohana? I, I'm, I'm with you. That's the, the word that pops into my brain the first. We'll go with Ohana. All right. Does Ohana mean family, Jimmy? Oh, yes, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, Aaron. Uh, another good, uh, good poker face from Jimmy. But yeah, it was stolen. And now we get to Vince and Jimmy to try and steal from Aaron. I actually had someone write into me about, I used to say the name of the author as Neil Gaiman, and someone, a fan of this podcast actually wrote to me and was like, no, it's Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I, I was like, so. okay, yeah, all right. So I'll, I'll try and stick with the correct one now, but I might slip up. Sorry, David, if I do. All right. Now, Neil Gaiman's father, David Gaiman, was part of which secretive organization's guardian's office? It was in that role that he signed off on 1975's Operation Cat, designed to embarrass government agencies by getting them to recognize a pedigreed cat as if it were a human being. So is this the British spy organization? Yeah. What is yeah. it? MI what? MI6 is, is like actually real. It's not just in James Bond, which I know that apparently Yogesh loves from listening to other episodes of Homework. So I would I would be like, yeah, MI6, my, I think we should just go with it. <laughs> my one question is, are we sure? Is it really MI? I, I don't know. Like MI6 is what I remember from the movie. But in reality, is it MI6 or MI5? 
I think I, it's I, I seem to remember. I seem to remember six. Well, I'm going to go with you. It's definitely MI something. So, oh, wait. Let's see. It was in his role. Wait, government. Oh, wait. Designed to embarrass government agencies by getting them to recognize a pedigree. Oh, it doesn't have to be something secretive. Let's read the question. Well, it's a it secretive organization. Secretive organizations. Guard, guardians. Oh, it does say secretive. Operation. So why would they do that? Designed to embarrass. Could it be guardians office? Could it be like a, an activist group too? Why would you do this? Why would you do <laughs> Operation Cat? Why would you? Why would MI6 try to embarrass government agencies? I, I don't know. They're they're British. They... they feel bad that they don't have an empire anymore. They're just drinking, thinking about silly things. I'd say I'm like, still I'm just secretive I, I don't know. Secretive to me doesn't necessarily mean secret agent, right? It could just mean kind of closed doors. Like green. Well, that's why I think like real or... MI6 is just a secretive organization. It's not like James Bond secret agent. Okay, really? Okay. I if think that's so. the case. I think it's, okay, it's more of just like... Let's go. This yeah. is the, the not-so-hard round, so okay, let's go. So, let's do it. So you're liking, you're liking MI6? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Aaron? Sadly, it is not MI6, which I believe is their, the British equivalent of like the CIA, essentially. And then MI5, which is also real, is like the FBI. Like one is internal and one is external. I might be oh. getting those mixed up, but like one is like within the country and one's outside. But no, this is... You're, you're right to go outside of the government, but I was I was pretty sure you were never going to get it. No, uh, Neil Gaiman's dad was involved with the Church of Scientology. So I'm going to go with the Church of Scientology. Yeah, I think he was involved in their attempt to take over like the National Alliance for Mental Health or something like that. Yeah, not, not something you, you associate with the UK a lot. Yeah, but there's a very long running opposition between Scientology and people who promote mental health. <laughs> but in the 70s, they, they ran what they called Operation Snow White, which was a very wide ranging attempt to infiltrate a whole bunch of government organizations just to embarrass or undermine their credibility, presumably because they knew they were being investigated by the government. So they wanted to undermine it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So about like 11 or so of the top Scientology people went to prison as a result of Operation Snow White. He did not, but he was definitely involved. Involved. Yeah, so Aaron is correct. Pretty uh, weird fact. <laughs> How many people went to jail for Operation Cat? I think that's the real question. O only the cat, <laughs> It was cooped up, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron and Jimmy down to try and steal from Vince. If there are 12 or fewer people in your party, you can reserve a second floor parlor named for what man at New Orleans Brennan's Restaurant, which is located inside the pink building at 417 Royal Street, where this man once resided. You may also be familiar with him via a fellow named Bob, who frequently turns up on the Coffee Chess YouTube channel to declare this man the greatest chess player that ever lived. Okay, strange. Unfortunately, I am not on Coffee Chess YouTube channel. No, I, I, I'm, I'm not on, yeah. It's and it's like, I, I believe you, those are interesting things, but this, it can't seem quite like, like and my brain initially tries to go to like, okay, who's chess players, but like that can't be real. Yeah, my, so my <laughs> brain then goes to, what's the name of, your name was teacher, you might, what's the name Ooh. of the main character in A Confederacy of Dunces? Um, that's a great question. Ignatius Riley, Ignatius J. Riley. So that's where my brain, that's like my fault. I like that. No, I like that because he's We can keep Orleans puzzling, but like, I feel like that's, that's my, that's yeah. my baseline guess. Yeah. Um, um, I think the 12 or fewer people thing is not a clue. It's just like a, yeah. a fire, so, fire limit. Yeah. Um, 
don't they don't like in. having big restaurant reservations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's New um, Orleans. It's Brennan's. Oh, wait. Pink Building, though, at 417 Royal Street, where this man once resided, would be a real person, right? Right, unless he, unless O'Toole put it in a real building just for kicks. Yeah. I mean, the only other person I can come up with, what's his name? The Kingfisher guy who ran New Orleans and Louisiana for so long, but like, he definitely didn't. Yeah, but like, he didn't play chess. But like, is he the greatest chess player that ever lived? Because he like... Because he plays with yeah. human beings. Sure. I like that. Do you want to go I with say that? I with that instead. Let's do that. Here, so your answer is long? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that guess and I love the logic behind it. But I think I think Vince knows uh, it's not correct. Yeah, that's fine. So in my mind, there's only one greatest chess player that ever lived. And given that it's New Orleans, there's only one great American chess player that ever lived. So... If you're just talking greatest chess players, and given what I know about this clue from what I gave Yogesh, it's not going to be Gary Kasparov. It's not going to be Magnus Carlsen. So it has to be an American, Bobby Fischer. That's my answer. Bobby Fischer mm-hmm. lived in New Orleans? So I think there are only two Americans who could ever have had a claim to being the best chess player in the world at the time, as well as the best you know, whoever lived, although it's hard to compare across eras. Yeah, Bobby Fischer was from New York. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Who was? Oh, not great... Paul Morphy. Not Paul Morphy. Oh God, did I miss Paul Morphy? You, you did miss Paul Morphy. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's... that is. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely from oh. New Orleans. He was. He was. He was basically driven to misery by the fact that he was considered the world's greatest chess player because no one would actually play him. He would repeatedly give odds. He would like play without a rook and still. And he he got a law degree and tried to open a law practice in New Orleans, but his clients only wanted to talk to him about chess. Mm. So, yeah, he he had a very unhappy life. Um, oh Lord! And that was the theme of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's too. Oh, this is not going well. Yeah. Okay. I guess- there are hidden, I have discussed before how hidden themes seem to pop up from my subconscious, not intentionally. And yes, people who had unhappy lives. <laughs> <laughs> who knows why that's on my mind? All right. Uh, who are we on now? Vince and Aaron to try and steal from Jimmy. All right. The Patrouille de Glacier, or however you say that, is a ski mountaineering race run once every two years. It has two courses, both of which end in the resort village of Verbier. Although civilian teams can compete, it is officially organized by the armed forces of which country? Okay, so Switzerland's got a lot of skiing, speaks French, and has a big old army. So that's the thing that speaks first to my mind. Is there anything that's coming up first for you? Yeah, it's either it's either Switzerland or France. I can't patrouille de glacier, so I don't know patrouille. Patrol. Ski mountaineering. What's the difference? What does that mean? Mountaineering? Just climbing the mount, like skiing. I assume on skis, yeah, like moving around up in whatever. Verbier could has two courses, both of which end in the resort. So if both of them end in the resort village of Verbier, is there something between Mm -hmm. France and Switzerland, like Liechtenstein or something like that? Liechtenstein's at the other end of Switzerland, over by Austria. So that's not going to be it. uh, No. I mean, it could be like Luxembourg speaks French too. It's not going to be Belgium because yeah. they don't have any mountains worth skiing, I don't think. Does um, Luxembourg have? Because then if it has two 
courses, maybe one comes from each country and it, it pools oh, it in the center. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, but uh, it's officially organized by the armed forces of, of one, one country. country. The country in the middle in yeah. service to to the ones like they would, I guess, well, but that, share and that could the be, mountain. And that could be if you were thinking, yeah, that could be either France, Switzerland or France, Luxembourg. Although, again, I don't know that Luxembourg has mountains either being further north. Well, let me think. There was, I'm thinking of World Cup racers. Mm-hmm. And I believe there was there was a racer from Luxembourg. Mm. So it's now that doesn't mean you could train anywhere. He mm. probably does train everywhere. But so your your geography, what's around Luxembourg that could? I mean, and it's, then, it's between Belgium, Germany, and France. Okay. And also, so, I li- I like this thinking that there's like, but like also like two ski courses like don't. Yeah, because if it's organized by the armed beer forces, is a little bit. Verbier is a little bit Germanic sounding, no? Unless it's Verbier, yeah. but I'm reading. Yeah, could we yeah. have a pronunciation <laughs> uh, clarification on that? Uh, is it Verbier or, that... or Verbier? I, well, what I, I'm going to have a short, short-term memory clarification. When I read it, I read it as Verbier, but that was just mm-hmm. a guess. I don't actually okay. know how it's pronounced. Leftover from Glacier. This doesn't have to be a very sophisticated army. No. So. No, it doesn't. But like, I, why are they running a ski patrol unless they have nothing much better to do which like I, like I feel two... like switzerland has compulsory military service oh yeah for sure like the swiss yeah like, but the then like the they don't swiss. fight with anything so if i'm not on the pope's patrol like where am i and it might be supervising a ski resort it's only organized it's not necessarily yeah. they could have help that's true and officially I, organized i'm really leaning towards country you want to go Luxembourg? Uh, yeah, if we think it's in the center, because I think if it's once every two years, maybe they alternate which mm-hmm. like real army works. One time it's France, one time it's oh, Belgium, it's and they just all kind of converge, or they have to go. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. Let's go Luxembourg. Do it. Okay, you're liking Luxembourg. Yeah, this is the second episode I think after episode thirty-five where someone's mentioned a famous ski racer from Luxembourg. So I should look up who this is because. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Clearly, he's worth knowing. Yes, exactly. And also in that episode, I erroneously stated that Luxembourg does not border Germany. As Darren noted just now, it does actually border Germany. Yeah, uh, but it's not the correct answer to this question. So I'll pass to Jimmy. Sorry, Aaron. You're all good, man. I have no idea. But based on that, I'm just going to go with Switzerland on this one. (laughs) Yeah, I, I did. I'm glad no one tried to go with the canard that Switzerland doesn't have an army, which... Costa Rica does not have an army. Switzerland has, as Aaron said, compulsory military service. They have a very well-trained and well-funded... Uh, Where do you ma- think they get the knives? <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Oh, they guard the Pope. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Well, they, those, the guards are from Switzerland. They're not officially part of the Swiss armed forces, I don't think. But um, hmm. but yes, I mean, they are very alert to the possibility that they may have to fight, even though they haven't for several centuries. Really um, never have bothered <laughs> Yes, and they are one of the one of the countries that have that train troops on skis. It's, it's it is a thing. Like during during World War II, it was actually there was actually in in like Finland, Russia, and Germany fought quite a bit, and ski troops did fight quite a bit there. So yeah, they do they do train their soldiers to use skis, and since they're not actually fighting, they are mountaineering. Yeah, Switzerland's correct. Yes, I think I think too they have one of the highest they have one of the highest per capita like gun ownership rates. It's just. I think yeah. so, because, yeah, all adults are required you to do service. And when you, yeah, you have to keep your weapon in your house when you do. Because so. you got to be ready. 
exactly. Yes. They do they, have a surprising number of fake houses dotting the Swiss countryside also that are just like like potential military headquarters that are just entirely look like fake little chalets. It's very funny. And I think they have like plans to destroy all ways into the country just to cut to cut it off again if if needed. Yeah, right. when the nuclear apocalypse comes, it'll be the Swiss and the cockroaches that survive. All right, uh, Vincent, Jimmy, to try and steal from Aaron. A number of baked goods from around the world, including biscuits, biscotti, and the Filipino biscotso, have names that derive from the same linguistic root. What does bis mean in those words? Twice. Twice. Biscotti or twice cooked. Yeah. Twice. I don't know what biscotso, I mean, I'm Filipino, yes, but yeah. I mean, we steal from the Spanish, so it's the same thing. Twice. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. I'm glad I wrote a bonus for Aaron. So if you've flown domestically over the past couple decades or so, there's a good chance you were served Biscoff cookies made by Belgium's Mm -hmm. Lotus Baker. These are variations on a traditional Belgian cookie known by what name? Those are speculos cookies, and they are delicious. Yes. Wikipedia actually goes out of its way to differentiate speculos and speculas, claiming that that they're different things. Other sources said that they're basically the same thing. I don't really have the expertise to arbitrate that. How how Dutch are you feeling, I think, is mostly the question. (laughs) Yeah. It looks like speculas are put into like patterns to look like, you know, Mm -hmm. trains or something like that. that, uh, Yeah. They're more like gingerbread, I think. Mm -hmm. They're stuff spiced. Yeah. One of them is spiced. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, those those cookies, it's very hard to, I've never really seen them for sale anywhere other than, you know, never really Uh, seen them available. uh, my my undergraduate ed department headquarters had them by like the box and we just went through those like it was the end times and that was our only food source, man. Those were. Yeah. yeah. I suspect if you're on a plane and you ask a flight attendant for more, they have to give them to you. But they don't I don't think they want to make that option known. No. Otherwise... <laughs> They're good. Man, it's that and the stroke waffles, man. They're yeah. got some good no, cookie we just, selections. We were just on a plane and my two year old was just cookie cookies. She took she took my cookies. Just to learn. Yeah, but two year olds. Stroke waffles, I think, have dairy, whereas uh, bi- yeah, Biscoff are just say you know I, I'm lactose intolerant, so I mm. when I'm flying, I try to stay away from things with dairy. But Biscoff is just yeah, good house. Yeah, nice. All right, I think it's uh, Vince and Aaron now to try and uh, sorry, uh, Jimmy and Aaron now to try and steal from Vince. At the 2018 Winter Olympics, the women nicknamed Annie, Steak, Pancake, Sunny, and Chocho were collectively known by what two-word alliterative moniker, referencing the fact that they all came from Wiseong County? Oh, boy. Ah, this sounds like figure skaters to me. They seem like they'd have nicknames. Maybe, right? I mean, he was talking about Winter Olympics, but obviously yeah. here we are in the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wiseong County... Sounds Korean. Broadly East Asian to me, but I don't have a good read on which part particularly. Yeah, I, um, Annie Steak, Pancake, Sunny, and Jojo. I mean, if it's Korean, then it could be almost like K-pop-y, right? Because they all have nicknames, or frequently do. Mm-hmm. So that might be a good enforcer of that idea. So alliterative moniker. We're looking for a two-word alliterative moniker. So they're the Soul Sisters. They are the. Uh, that's actually that's that sounds pretty cool. The Soul it's, Sisters. It's cute. It's cute if it's, it's not it's, right. It's, hey, if that's if there is a bunch of people from. It's it's soul, theirs for the taking. Yeah, they they can have that free of charge. They're the. Thinking other other areas. 
things that start with F because they'd be like the something five, right? We've had the mm -hmm, five. Mm -hmm. They're the mm -hmm. it's the Winter Olympics. I don't think it would be like the Philippine five. No. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I, like I mean Soul Sisters is really it's if you're right about it being Korea, then that would be a good which the the song part does sound Korean. I'm not coming up with anything else, unfortunately. Let's do that. We'll do we'll do the Soul Sisters again. I very I'm very entertained by that. Uh, what if the pub trivia team name? What if my favorite one that I come up with was I'm from Seoul, but I'm not a soldier. Which, nice. Yeah, I especially like the irony because South Korea, like Switzerland, has compulsory military service. So yeah. if you are in fact from Seoul, you will be a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the correct answer here. So fast events. So you guys were correct. These women are from South Korea. The 28 Olympics were in Pyeongchang. So that might have led you to Korea, but you were there. I did not know of these nicknames, but if you, so there are five. So it's not figure skating. Five is a little bit tricky, but I mean, I, I obviously know what sport this is, but I'm not going to say. So this particular county is known for producing garlic. So this this team was known as the Garlic Girls. That's my answer. And that is correct, yes. Is it bobsled? Interesting. Uh, you'll, you'll find out soon enough. Oh, it's part of the category. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's a hint. I'm Canadian. I mean, they could, they could be hockey players, but there's more people. Oh, they're, they're curlers. Uh, you'll find out soon enough. We will uh, find out. All right. So finishing off the not all that hard round before we move on to the only somewhat hard round, we have Vincent Aaron who's trying to steal from Jimmy. The Roman Catholic Church observes the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th as promulgated by Pope Pius IX in the 1854 papal bull Ineffabilis Deus. What does the dogma of the Immaculate Conception state? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so... It's weird, right? It's not about the conception of Jesus. It's about the conception of Mary. Yes. Yes, that's what I always thought, too, until pretty recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then so, my uh, Notre dame friends beat that into me. So I'm going to put it out. I'm Roman Catholic. I'm right. pretty sure. So. So, so the controversy with Mary was it took a while for them to believe mm. that she was the mother of Christ, mm -hmm. mother of God. Ineffabilis Deus. Like, like God is ineffable. God can't be. Yeah. Yeah can't be known it's the unknowability of god yes yeah so i mean it's definitely about it, wh what specifically is it about mary's conception it's that she was conceived without sin she's conceived without sin yes that's what it is yeah that's that mary was conceived without sin but she was conceived without sin to be the mother to be the mother of god so, so definitely the immaculate conception that's correct but yeah. was that already known did they need mm. a papal bull to do that in 1854, yeah, it's been a little while. Because the term "mother of God" is relatively new. Yeah. Okay. So, do you so, want to tack that on as part of like the conceived without sin yeah, in order to become the mother? To of become God. the mother of God. I like that. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, I'll, I'll have to check with Kate. Is the the theologian? I'll have to check with her to be sure. But I'm pretty sure it's yeah. She was conceived free of original sin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, her her conception was not like a virgin conception, like the conception of Jesus, but she just was free of original sin, which allowed her to be a proper carrier of Jesus. I was hoping we'd get a Catholic category. Four years <laughs> of Catholic university won't have gone to waste. 
<laughs> hmm. All right. So uh, there's a bonus to finish out the round for Jimmy. Another widespread misconception in Catholicism is about the death of St. Sebastian, commonly thought to have been killed by arrows. However, according to the traditional account, he was shot by arrows, but did not die. Rather, he was nursed back to health by which female saint, only to return to rebuking Emperor Diocletian and then be clubbed to death. Oh, man. Rough life. <laughs> it was so rough. That's the theme. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shoot, he hasn't come up in my books yet. Of oh, my my saint of the day for the middle schoolers. Hmm. <laughs> you'll you'll have a really good one for them on Monday. <laughs> I am so ready. I am so ready. Let's see. Brand nurse back to help by which female saint who's gonna be a very early female saint, only to return to rebuking the Emperor Diocletian, who's busy persecuting Christians all over the place. And then he is clubbed to death. I see. Mm. I'm just gonna go with Agatha. All right. Yeah. So my understanding is that even back, you know, when when this legend, like, I mean, you know, whenever this legend of the saint was established, it was basically an attempt to um, heterosexualize the legend of Saint Sebastian. Mm. His uh, traditional depiction was very homoerotic, um, mm. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot a- of arrows. Yes, and uh, he was typically shirtless and had very well-defined ab- sure. abdominal muscles. He never, he ne- never has a beard. <laughs> yeah. hmm. uh, very soft-featured. But in Catholic lore, his beard, quote-unquote, was St. <laughs> Irene. Mm. Okay. All right, so uh, we end that round. Uh, Vince in the lead at 9.3, followed by Aaron at 7.1, and Jimmy just a little bit behind at 5.2, and now the... Questions are supposed to go up a notch in difficulty, and the values will go up as well. Four points for a steal, three for a specialist question, answer directly, two for a bonus. And we'll begin with Vince and Jimmy to try and steal from Aaron. Neil Gaiman and Harlan Ellison are the only people, other than the creator-slash-showrunner, to have a writing credit on the last three seasons of which TV series? The one Gaiman-scripted episode of this series, Day of the Dead, aired in 1998 and features guest appearances by Penn and Teller. I think we're looking at a sci-fi series, so we need one with a long duration. My guess, because of Harlan Ellison, is Babylon 5. Neil Gaiman does science fiction-y stuff, but not totally. I have no idea about Penn & Teller, Day of the Dead. 98 sounds, I don't know if that's too early, but they reference Babylon 5 in Big Bang Theory, but it ran quite a long what else could it be? Do you have any thoughts of what could it be? Battlestar Galactica? No, that did that was definitely after. Battlestar think, Galactica was both before and oh, after def- This definitely right? this if definitely was at the seventies. Yeah, this wasn't the um, old one. Yeah, because Harlan okay. Ellison obviously he wrote for Star Trek as well, but Neil Gaiman was not writing for Star Trek in terms was of it the Battlestar Galactica. But oh, no, no see, I think yeah, the I think new Battlestar one ended Galactica later, right? After. The modern one yeah. was after 98, obviously so, the original. Because Babylon 5, so sorry, Babylon 5 fans had pretty dated special effects and costumes and sets. So I could see that being being older. So if we're going to rule out, so we can, can we rule out anything Star Trek-y, right? They're not. I, I, I think we rule, the, out, we rule every, out Star trek because we just... Now, and enough people write for that too, where it says only people other than the creator showrunner, which means that they're the one doing most of this work. So obviously other Star Treks, things like Deep Space Nine, that stuff, that's out. Right. Because it's not just like Gene Roddenberry. Okay. So it 
It didn't end in 98. So it's just his episode came in 98. So it could have ended more like 2000 something. So that, that would make sense. Oh, um, so, so that means the last three seasons, there's only one Neil Gaiman episode for it. And then. So Herman it ended Ellison somewhere within three seasons. So, so no later than 2000. So so it had a writing credit, either 98, 99, 2000. So no later than 2000. It could also be some kind of fantasy show, like a Twilight Zone-ish, macabre kind of a show. Mm-hmm. But Harlan Ellison is strictly sci-fi, no? Neil Gaiman is a little more versatile, but Harlan Ellison, he's won like Hugo Awards. So yeah. in my head, I have, a, I have it that Harlan Ellison wrote for Babylon 5. And I remember thinking it because I didn't like Babylon 5. And I'm going, really? Why don't I like it then? But that would be my guess. If we're ruling out Battlestar Galactica, then I'm pretty sure yeah. it's Babylon 5. Yeah, because that, that's I, what, that, that's what, that strikes me also as a show that is mostly done by the creator showrunner. They're like, we're the ones writing this. We're the only ones like taking it down. Yeah, does that, is that our answer? Let's uh, do it. Yep, yeah, Babylon 5. All right. Aaron, again, spent a very long time holding a poker face, but I think uh, I think you're aware that, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you know? Who, do you remember who the showrunner for Babylon Five was? A very long name, starting with <laughs> S and ending with Z. The first initial is J. The Michaelitz, yeah. something like uh, that. Yeah, J. Michael Straczynski. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, Sorry. he wrote. Yeah, <laughs> he wrote almost all the episodes, especially the last three seasons. He basically did it all by himself. It did manage to get, I think, to five seasons appropriately for the name. Uh, Had to quit yeah. after that. And just a, a call back to the previous episode. So Nikhil in the previous episode kept talking about Robert Heinlein having an unproduced teleplay for the Batman 60s TV series. As he told me afterwards, and I confirmed, he was actually thinking of Harlan Ellison when he said mm. that. All right, Aaron and Jimmy now to try and steal from Vince. What portmanteau? Hey, it is curling. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, yes, if it involves you, Aaron, is it a portman portmanteau? Uh, <laughs> mm. I have uh, 10 of them even. So what portmanteau specifically refers to a curling tournament with a monetary prize? Oh boy, okay. I have been curling exactly once. I have watched curling on TV a couple more times than that. But a curling tournament with a monetary prize. Mm, What are some words for monetary prizes? A word. There's... Uh, You can call it a pot. Pot. You can... The problem also with skirt curling is that there's a lot of like terminology borrowed from like Scots and other parts of the world. And there's, there's like, we could be looking at, oh boy. Yeah. Pot's not bad. Okay. What is, what are the brooms called? I think just brooms. Okay. What are the stones called? Are they called stones? Rocks. They're called rocks. They're called rocks. Okay. Rock pot. Rock pot's cute, but it's not really a portmanteau. It's not a, it's not a portmanteau at all. No. So far, we've got, unfortunately, very single-syllable words. Um, the, the button is the middle of the target that they're aiming for. Okay. Tournament. <sighs> aiming for the button. Button of cash. Um, yes. That would be really funny. I would go to one of those. Excellent wordplay. I can't give you extra points for wordplay, but morally, you get extra points. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um <laughs> There's definitely a word for like a curling tournament and I can't remember what it is. I think it starts with like an S and it's not, ugh, no, 
What's it not? Say what it's not. It's not. I don't know. It's the problem. Okay. <laughs> no, it's wow. like there's a. I've I've heard a word used from friends of friends who curl occasionally, and they're like, "Oh, I've got a blah 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 this weekend," and my brain is always just like, "That's a good word," and then just immediately flushes it out again. So I can't. I'm not going to come up with it. I'm going to recognize it when I hear it. And simply not come up with that is the problem. Okay, uh, competition. I've got a curly whirly, something involving ice. Spale, it's something spale, spale bond, spale, something almost Germanic sounding. Bond spiel. It's a bond spiel is the curling tournament, but I don't know what that could portmanteau into. Okay, but it's a bond spiel. Bond spiel is a curling tournament. It turns out I did come up with it. I need to have more. Yes, I think with an O, but I don't think that it matters a lot. No, this is good. This is good. Gotta have more faith in my memory, apparently. Bond spiel could come to bond Bond spiel. Yeah, how do you portmanteau that? How do we smush another word into there? Uh, So obviously you've got two syllables. We have bond and we have spiel. Yes. (laughs) Bond spay out. Bonds. Bail bonds, spay. Yeah, bond spiel. Um, no, <sighs> I like don't want to give up on thinking because I came up with bond spiel eventually. Although yeah. there's also a very real chance that's not anything, and that's just nonsense. My brain has come up with. I think um, we, that we have to come up with something because of that. At that point, <laughs> build on the nonsense. Bond sp- Monetary prize. Um, prize. Like, again, just to, I, I feel like this came up at least once before. People have technical definitions of portmanteau. In this case, I just mean a combination of two words, not, okay. necessar- not necessarily an overlapping syllable. Okay. So do you want to stick another word in front of bond spiel or after bond spiel? It's a cash spiel, obviously. Cash spiel? Cash spiel is fun. I that's that's all I've got at that point in time. <laughs> We're gonna be like, just cut it. It's a cash spiel. Or it's a it's a money Prize prize spiel? Prize bond spiel. Prize, but then you wouldn't have said prize in the question. You wouldn't have said prize if it was like a bond prize. Bond prize. Oh, that's a cute name. They should take that. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like if it was prize, then he wouldn't have used prize in the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very much monetary. A monetary. Yeah, monetary, monetary. So money, my winning. Or if it's just bonds pay, like a bonds, bonds pay. pay. Yeah, something in that universe. What are you feeling? Where do you want to go? We just go bonds pay. Sure. And we'll be mad if it's a cash spiel. Yes. And it's probably something that's neither of those. Probably bonds not. Pay. Lock it in. Yeah. All right. Vince has been giving a very stern, straightforward look this whole time. You know, wow. you know, that was very impressive. Aaron, your memory is correct. Bonspiel is the term for a tournament. And that would have been my answer if Jimmy hadn't prompted me for the more modern term. I believe, so I'm debating between Bonspiel and Cashspiel. So Bonspiel, if you're right, as one word, I'm not sure if it splits into two words, Bond and Spiel, but Cashspiel would be a classic portmanteau. And since it did mention, so I think in the old days, so you're right, Aaron, that a lot of these terms come from abroad. Although the game was invented in Scotland, it was really popularized in Switzerland. That's, I mean, the Swiss world champions, they've won a lot. It's probably after Canada, the number one nation, well, 
as far just as haunted by Switzerland yeah. today. So when I picked <laughs> curling, I actually thought this might have been risky because Aaron is so far north and Jimmy is in winter sports. So, so if I had to pick between the two, given what you've, you've convinced me, you two have convinced me to try. And even if I miss, just the fact that it would bug you that I'm guessing it is satisfaction enough. I'm going to try cash spiel. Okay, yeah. So I, I locked in. Yeah, yeah. When I, I learned the term bon spiel, I thought, oh, is it just like French bon and German spiel, meaning like play? But at least while researching this question, every source I found claimed it actually comes from Dutch words, meaning league and play. I mean, the Dutch word for play is very similar to the German. So yeah, I mean, it's not actually French derived at all, but bon spiel is a name for any kind of curling tournament, whether there's a monetary prize or not. If you mm. have a monetary prize, it's a cash spiel. Mm. Wow. Oh, that that stings. It does. It does. I feel a little better about Paul Morphy now, but <laughs> there you that's, go. That's, that's okay. You have to throw me a bone here, guys. All right. Vince, Vince and Aaron to try and steal from Jimmy. Two of the biggest categories of skiing are Nordic and Alpine skiing. What specific qualities of the skis themselves differentiate Nordic and Alpine skiing? I'm looking for something beyond just differences in shape and size. Oh, boy. This feels like the kind of thing that I would hear the announcers say during the Olympics and be like, that's cool. And then I promptly forget all about it. So in the skis themselves. So Nordic cross country, is is that all that Nordic is? Like cross so. country, biathlon, so alpine on the mountain. Yeah. So, so if it's not shape and size, because I think aren't downhill skis, like don't they go in? So you yeah, can I also would have thought that downhill skis were longer. Yeah, and sort of the ski jumping count in this. The ski jumping count is skiing. I think that's a different. That's a diff, That to me is a different event. Okay, because that's Nordic combined, but it's not. Also, Jimmy made a skiing. face. <laughs> like so I'll just cross. I'll say in my in my research, I found sources that contradicted each other on on these things. Okay, okay. Specific qualities of the skis themselves are they made from different materials? That could be like I have one to has assume to be all fiberglass, synthetic, whatever now, but maybe not. Does weight count as one of these slight differences? Because on cross country ski, you could be on a very high snow, like you yeah. have to kind of float on Gotta the snow. Be, you and be then light. maybe an alpine ski would sink because mm -hmm. you need some weight on the mountain to carve, like, I would think. I'm a terrible skier, so then once, I, I so don't really you get me know. Beat. So, I mean, it could be, I mean, the carving, mm. I would think carving doesn't help you in cross country. Yeah. And you don't want to be hauling about, that weight around, right? Like Alpine, you don't have to worry about lifting you have up to your wax, feet. <laughs> um, do you have to wax your skis? You have to wax your skis no matter what, right? I for, assume for so. downhill, you is do. that also a quality of the skis? I don't know. Oh, that's true. Like, I don't know. I'm thinking like, does one float on water or float yeah. on you know, Kind of rest on snow, on top of snow, and one would like so like density or or weight, mm -hmm. density, weight, material. I mean, there's like like I'm trying to think of like the curvature of them is like maybe different, but that's got to be shape and size. Shape, yeah. Like the old days, everything would be wood anyway. Mm -hmm. So in the Olympics, mm -hmm. so I think we can rule out material since they had those categories. Yeah, in like the 1900s. Right. Okay. What else could it be of the skis themselves? So not the poles or anything, mm -mm. Um, not any of the equipment. So what did we say? Something about weight density, potentially. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What else? Maybe where the 
what do you call where you put the boot in? Yeah, the little, like, I don't know, um, boot attachment zone. Because oh. in, in downhill, mm -hmm. when you wipe out, you want the ski to fly off. You'll mm -hmm. get injured if, if, but in cross country, there's not much risk of that. So I think you mm -hmm. want your boot welded in mm -hmm. so that if you can't, you have no, I don't, I don't know. So could it be boot ski separation? Because uh, they have those clasps that just, right? Yeah. Um, that sounds reasonable. So like the security of the boot. Yeah, like and, the me uh, method by which the boot attaches. So yeah, if we're if we we just said that if we agreed that all skis were once made out of wood, we can rule out mm -hmm. weight and density since it's all going to be unless they use a different type of wood, which yeah. I doubt. Yeah, and so it's, I imagine the, it's not. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go. You want to go with boot? The security of the boot, like sure. the fastener. One is designed to release easily in downhill, mm -hmm. and one is designed to be very secure for cross country. Yeah, that's our answer. Hmm, that's interesting. I'll, I'll see what Jimmy has to say before I rule on that. I mean, in terms of... You remember, uh, not found isn't I, coming. I clicked it. I, <laughs> I didn't click it well enough. <laughs> Too excited. No. I mean, in cross country, right, where if you watch them, you don't want your boots completely glued into your skis because then you're just going to have a bunch of people just shuffle stepping the entire yeah. way across the entire course. Where specifically in cross country, that binding, it's, yeah, it's going to be really... It is going to be pretty locked in there for your toe, but your heel is going to be completely free yeah. to where you can actually like get up and, and move them in that way where you might see that in somebody like telemarking, but you're not going to see that in say like Alpine racing. So yes, you definitely want your skis to, you know, release in downhill, but you're definitely, you're locked in at your toe. You're locked in at your heel for those bindings. It's called the binding. <laughs> <laughs> and then another thing, definitely... Nordic skis are going to be a lot, a lot skinnier. It's not just like a slight difference and they're going to be straighter and they're going to be longer. Whereas yeah, and your downhill skis, especially just for like recreational, you're going to see that parabolic shape where it does kind of come in a little bit at the waist. And yeah, then slight, slight was the wrong word to use there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then for me though, when I pop in it to something, it's not necessarily about the ski itself, but something that I would say is a big difference is how you're going to wax them as well. Whereas like Nordic, you're going to really, you're actually going to want, you basically have like two different wax jobs where you have like your tight gripping wax to be able to push. And then you have, then you have your gliding wax to glide. So you're like glide grip, glide grip. Whereas if you're going downhill, you don't want any grip. You just want to go that way. Yeah. That's what I would think. I would say to okay. This so I so am I really is so if if Vincent Aaron, if you had just stopped at like the bindings are different, I think I would have given to you. But yeah, I think you reversed them. I think you said that yeah. Al, that Alpine would be uh, free heel and Nordic would be fixed, which is in fact it's the opposite. Or that, or that Nordic at the very least would be more anchored in. I think was what we ended up saying. Yeah. Right. But in, in Nordic, yeah, you're sometimes trying to go uphill, for instance, which would require more freedom to That's maneuver. True. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll give Jimmy credit for that. All right, Vincent, Jimmy, now to try and steal from Aaron. The Turkish Asibadem Kurabiesi, the Greek Amygdalota, and the Italian Ricciarelli are all biscuits or cookies whose names refer, directly or in the case of the latter, somewhat indirectly, to the fact that they are made using what ingredient? Uh, what does amygdala actually mean as opposed to just a part of the brain? Because I think a, a brain cookie would be gross, personally. Hopefully it's just the shape. Um, <laughs> so, geez, and I was in Turkey. Did I have the kurapi? Yes. But richia, could that be rice? 
like risotto rice, ricciarelli. That would just be riso, right? So it wouldn't be like riccia. But I don't know, to make it into that ciarelli, I don't know. Would it, yeah, it would probably be risotto, risotto, risotto. Riccia, could it be ricotta, like cheese? Cura. Cheese, amygdala, kind of sounds. Well, everything is cheese in Greece. So, I mean, I, they all like their cheese. I like this That's, idea of cheese. Kurayabi sounds cheese like acibedum. Kurubayesi, kurubayesi to me. I, I like directly or in the case of the latter, indirectly, whose names refer in the case of the latter. So, so if Abdeliada, it would be, yeah, it wouldn't be rice. I like cheese. I like cheese. I think, you, I think okay. you're on it. Cheese locked in. All right. You locked in cheese. Aaron, go ahead. I don't think that it is cheese. I believe I, I was going the same direction you guys were when you're thinking, what is the shape of the amygdala? Like, what is that called? And I think it's called after an almond. So I'm going to go with almonds. Yeah. So my, my, oh. I have at least two degrees in psychology and parts of others. I like at least. I like yeah. at least. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So it's a stealth neuroscience question, really. Asibadem apparently means bitter almond, which is, mm. you know, I guess yeah. Im important to them. Amygdalota. There's a lot of almonds in that part of the world. They got to differentiate right. somehow. <laughs> yeah. Amygdalota apparently means almond pear, but the amygdala part is what I was trying to steer you toward, which mm -hmm. is the uh, same word uh, as the structure in the brain, which is named for its shape. Yeah. Ricciarelli, there are a couple different etymologies. One suggestion is that it's an eponym, but another is that it comes from the word for hedgehog, which is apparently what happens when you oh, slice. Oh, these are the ones that you shove the little, they look like with the little almonds. Exactly. Out of them. Oh, those yeah. are cute. Oh. Yeah. But almond is correct. Yes. Yeah. All right. I see Aaron, that. Yeah. Aaron and Jimmy to try and steal from Vince. While watching an episode of Euphoria, I couldn't help but notice that Rue's drug dealer's TV was playing The Wrong Box, the apparently still relevant 1966 British comedy film that my blog is named after. That film was written by Larry Gelbart, perhaps best known as the primary creative force behind the first four seasons of MASH, in collaboration with Bert Shevelov. Gelbart and Shevelov's other major collaboration was The Book of What Musical that premiered on Broadway in 1962. Although Gelbart's work on MASH was noted for its mix of comedy and tragedy, this musical's opening number proudly announces that it only aims to make you laugh. What show is Make Him Laugh from? Oh boy. That's the only hope I have of getting. The rest of this is not in familiar territory for me at all. <laughs> Probably can't see. What's the one that's like another opening, another show? Yeah, that one. That's the one. That that's yeah. Make a I want to say it's Forty that... Second Street, but I don't think that that's right. But I don't know. We used to we used to sing it for like a summer camp that I worked for, and we had our own lyrics. So nice. I know that I don't know what it's from at all, but I know that. But that's yeah. How it goes. Yeah, it's a good song. Um, it's because it's not like a chorus line, right? No, I don't. I think that's too early for a chorus line. And that isn't. Mm, no, I'm thinking of something else for a chorus line. Maybe it is a chorus line. Ooh, no. Mm, mm. You yeah. get to make the call between a chorus no. line, Forty Second Street, because <laughs> I. That's my contribution. Yeah. Um, no, I like a chorus line though for make them laugh. They're definitely doing. Mm, yeah, that does feel kind of like the peppy. Like here we are doing our little kick line thing. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, let's go with Chorus Line. Okay, you're locking in Chorus Line? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that was really a comedy. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah, all right, Vince? Okay, so, like you, I, 
all I have to go on is this musical. So my thought was, well, from that time, something like Funny Girl, because now in my head, I have Barbara Streisand and Catherine Hepburn Tighe in 1960, but hopefully I'm wrong. And that because this should have predated the movie, unless it was totally off Broadway, or unless it debuted as a movie and then became a show later. Because Make Them Laugh sounds like what Barbara Streisand or Fanny Bryce would do in her audition when she screws up the roller skating and becomes the audience favorite and gets the role. The other time I think of Make Them Laugh is, was it Singing in the Rain or American uh, Donald O'Connor's number? But that's 50s or 40s. So hopefully I'm wrong about chronology. And my guess is Funny Girl. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to address multiple things. So the music, the movie version of Funny Girl, which was based on the stage musical, came out in '68. So that was the year there was a tie for Best Actress with Catherine Hepburn. But that I think is also a fairly, I mean, kind of a serious show. Like it traces her triumph over adversity, etc. And a, a shout out to to Julie Benko, who is I think probably the best of the competing actresses who's been doing it on Broadway the past year. But another open another show is from Kiss Me Kate. I think that's the opening number from Kiss Me Kate, which was cut from the movie. Make 'em Laugh is from Singing in the Rain. That was Donald O'Connor's thing. It's actually, so Singing in the Rain was meant to be kind of like, essentially like a jukebox musical, a bunch of songs by the team of Freed and Brown. But they actually, they wrote that song especially for the movie, what is kind of an open secret is that they completely plagiarized it from a song that Cole Porter had already written for a different movie, but he never sued them over it, so they got away with it. But the song here I'm talking about is actually a song I first heard my father sing around the house as a jingle for um, stuffing. He would always sing, Stovetop Tonight. It wasn't until a few years later I learned that that jingle was adapted from a song called Comedy Tonight, which was written by Stephen Sondheim. It's the opening number from A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Sorry. I, I have a lot of musical theater history in my head, and I just... I like that. <laughs> yeah. So does that mean Gilbert wrote the book? Because I, I was thinking of that, but I knew Sondheim was on Forum, and mm. that makes sense that they would have split the book. Uh, oh, well. Yeah, Sondheim rarely wrote. I think yeah. he rarely wrote the book for his musical, even after he became famous. But yeah, he he started just doing lyrics for like West Side Story. He's just the lyricist. And funny thing happened with him was his first time doing both lyrics and music. Cool. All right, stealing from Jimmy now, Vincent Aaron. Oh, that's a long one. On the fateful morning of September 14th, 1182, or so the story goes, Dom Fuas Rufino went hunting near Nazaré, Portugal, and was chasing a deer through fog when his horse suddenly reared up and stopped right as it was about to carry him over a cliff. Some might say his horse simply had a strong sense of self-preservation, but the nobleman was convinced that he had been saved by the intercession of the Virgin Mary. And to pay his debt of gratitude, he built a chapel to house the Black Madonna, an icon supposedly brought from the Holy Land to Spain in the 4th or 5th century, and then carried to Nazaré by a friar named Romano fleeing the Moorish conquest in the 8th century. Both that chapel and a nearby church constructed in the 14th century continue to draw crowds of religious tourists to this day. Yet, due to the nearby Nazare Canyon, an undersea trench, Nazare also draws visitors like Garrett G. Mac McNamara and Rodrigo Coxa, Coxa? I don't know, uh, who come there for what non-religious reason? Okay. An undersea trench that's bringing these people to Nazare Canyon. Are they scuba divers? Are they... So, religious tourists. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but we want the non-religious reasons. So is, yes. 
So this is totally different than Fatima, right? This has nothing to do with Fatima, mm -mm. Black Madonna. Okay, so do the nearby Nazare Canyon. So we got this. Is, say, this sounds like a wild town. We got just like pilgrims, and then whatever these people are here for. And they seem. I mean, somebody who's going by the nickname G Mac doesn't seem like he's hanging out at a lot of like chapels to like eighth century holy experiences. Could there have been, to me, GMAC sounds like an astronaut name. Mm -hmm. Could there be a, something that crashed, crashed or, there? Or like, 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 or are you going, that... or you're like training there for something. Yeah. Visitors. Like why, yeah, for, yeah. Okay, who came there for Maybe, one non-religious reason. Could something have sunk there, like some ship? Mm -hmm. Maybe. But it's a, tr mm. that's right, Canyon, which is a trench. It just, it, it just. It's a trench off the coast of Portugal, right? What's going on? off the coast of Portugal. You could get some Roman stuff there, I guess. Like, yeah. what are something that sank, but what would it be? So, you know, what famous ships? I mean, it's not the Titanic. What mm -hmm. what else sank? Or, or something that fell out of the sky, like Skylab or something that fell into the sea. Yeah. And they're trying to recover it. But, but it, would we I mean, know the names of people who are going after that, right? Like, these guys are famous for this. This is their... So I'm very bad at just... So, where... Did uh, things like what are some famous things that sank? Uh, Lusitania. I mean, uh, most Andrea of the Doria, that, Yeah, most of the war, things that end could up be sinking. A war yeah, it could be. Most of the things that war. end up sinking end up sinking in the North Atlantic because that's where all the icebergs yeah. are. Okay, so if it's not a sunken thing, maybe yeah. it's the site of a war, the undersea trench. Yeah. Although, why mention a trench at all? Yeah. Could it I be? Mean, I mean, I I feel like it's. Yeah, there, there could be something there, or it could just be the fact that it's cool to go to an undersea trench and you could get deep, like without having to go. Yeah, far like afield. wildlife. Yeah, so they're, they're, yeah, they're photographers or they are scuba divers or they are doing some kind of underwater. Is there an underwater extreme sport? I just like, God, the GMAC just feels like a BMX guy to me. <laughs> like, That's true. Wait a second. This is Jimmy's question? Yeah, but it's it's the, I think the 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 theme here is the religiousness, and I think that this is just purely by happenstance related well, to the story I, of this I Black Madonna icon. I wouldn't put it past Yogesh to combine some sporting thing into yeah an established category either. Because yeah. you're right, Garrett. That sounds very fun, Garrett. It's, maybe that's yeah. a surfer. Garrett G Mac. Yeah. Ooh. Can you Ooh. surf? Does an under does a trench affect does a trench surfing quality? Surfing. There is definitely surfing in Portugal. I like surfing. Rodrigo, GMAC definitely sounds like a cool He sounds name. cool. He sounds like he would be too cool to hang out with me. And what could be more diametrically opposed to religious pilgrims than a bunch of surfers? Than partying surfers. I, li I so, like that. Let's go surfing. So good surfing. They, they yeah. come for the good surfing. They come for the surf. That's for locking in? Yeah. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. Uh, they're what are called big wave surfers. Nazare, because of that trench there, has gigantic waves. And yeah, that's the other reason people come there besides religious pilgrimage is to surf those incredibly big waves. Nice journey. Huge waves. Huge. Was also... well done. Like 100 foot, like we're talking. Oh, wow. And they surf. They're enormous. Yeah, yeah. If you see footage, I mean, some of them, the records are still being confirmed because of whatever process they have to go through to confirm them. But yeah, just watching the footage of them, you're like, how can any human being not run away from that? <laughs> yeah, there are probably no shipwrecks there because if you were in a ship, you'd be like, I'm not. We're it's not just immediately. <laughs> no. Not it.
Yeah. All right. This is Aaron's direct, so Vince and Jimmy to steal. Viewers of network TV dramas who were also fans of Constitutional Procedure must have felt particularly blessed in 2003, when both the April 29th episode of 24 and the May 14th episode of The West Wing revolved around which amendment? Please respond with an ordinal number. Okay. Is it... Is it the, the is the twenty third the one that discusses the removal of the president in their their time of oh if they're like going incompetent and then you can senility or incompetence essentially would I'm they have had to... an episode like that was I didn't really boy I didn't really watch the West Wing but did they did they ever declare him was there ever talk of him becoming incompetent. It's been a while. I just, it's to me like constitutional procedure, kind oh, of. Oh, wait. Okay. 24. So, yeah. So, 20, so the 24. Oh, the president's kidnapped. We have to remove him from the presidency to be able to like put this other guy in because like the president's been compromised. So, maybe like a succession. Maybe, maybe Martin Sheen had surgery and they had to pass it to the vice president. Mm-hmm. And maybe the president on 20. I never watched 24 either. So maybe that that president had to hide out or was shot and had to go. Maybe there was some surgery and the vice president was temporary. Is there an amendment that the vice, an amendment though for that? Yeah, or, there, there, there's an amendment about basically. Oh boy, after the 10, I, I start to go foggy. I'm, can, I'm Canadian. Talk to me about Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Hey, yeah, 13, um, 14, 15 are good ones too. So, <laughs> not, so, so uh, which one do you think, Jimmy? I'm going to go with you. If it's familiar- I think be. it's the 23rd. I think it's so, the 23rd. So, I'm not sure, but that's my... And you think it's about presidential succession? Like Yes. Succession. Like presidential, like in case of like, oh no, okay. we got to remove them. I'd like remove them from power to then do something. Well, because also, so that, yeah, because I think it's constant. Mm, now you, you got me thinking about like the different order. No, I'm going to stick with 23. 23rd, because it's an ordinal number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. what I'm going to so, say. Go ahead, Jimmy. Lock it in. Yeah. Okay. Good understanding of the word ordinal, but let's see if the woman who has the periodic table memorized also knows <laughs> all the amendments. I, I do know all the amendments at one point. So I guess did is the more correct verb tense there. So I don't remember what the 23rd is. You're right that it's about presidential succession, but that's the 25th amendment. This is the episode of West Wing just titled 25, where the president has to step down because his daughter has been kidnapped and he doesn't think that he is capable of making decisions as her dad and also the president of the U.S. dealing with a terrorist attack all at the same time. And so he has to step down. They don't have a vice president because of a sex scandal that did not age well. And then so the Republican House Speaker has to become president, played by John Goodman. And a really excellent like one episode arc. It's Aaron Sorkin's last episode, also of the West Wing, 25. Hmm. Yeah. The 23rd Amendment is DC suffrage. It granted ah, vote, that's right. voting oh, okay. to, to residents of, of DC. But yeah, presidential. Yeah. I mean, this was my, was my second choice. Yeah. In, it was those, it's those mid-20s where they're just kind of like, they feel important, but they all just like, you know. Well, but you know it's not 21. It's, 21's no, it's, it's not 21's repealing prohibition. Yes. Right, yes. Yeah. But there, uh, yeah. That, that one I knew. Yes. Thumbs up for 21. Yeah, yes. yeah. And Twenty-five, 18, I think, 19, from yeah, from yeah. the seventy or from the the thirties, it would have repealed it. But mm-hmm. but yeah, the twenty-fifth, I think, is from that era in the seventies when they suddenly were impeaching the president while mm-hmm. the vice president, both the vice president and the president, had been impeached yes. and or were on the verge of being impeached. Or yeah, basically, they were not not long for the office, and they were like, "What do we do if we don't have either of those?" Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Suddenly, a, a succession order was direly needed. Yeah. 
Future Yogesh here. I had my dates off. The 25th Amendment was actually passed by Congress in 1965 and ratified by the states in 1967, so before the 70s. But yes, it does help to know the name of that West Wing episode, which is 25. It does. Uh, it's a helpful name. Yeah. All right. Aaron and Jimmy now. Try and steal from Vince. Having discovered a line within the King's Gambit that he named after himself the Rice Gambit, Isaac Rice sponsored numerous chess tournaments featuring some of the planet's most prominent players, including world champion Emmanuel Lasker, in which all participants were required to play the Rice Gambit, an opening currently described by the Oxford Companion to Chess as, quote, neither good nor necessary, and, quote, a grotesque monument to a rich man's vanity. Which is maybe my favorite description of a chess opening ever. I mean, Uh, it's very catty, so I like that. But how did Isaac Rice become a rich man? Well, in 1899, he founded Electric Boat, which after his death would evolve into a corporation, currently ranked among the world's five largest defense contractors and number 94 in the most recent Fortune 100 listing. Indeed, despite many changes in its business operations over the years, its Electric Boat subsidiary is to this day the primary supplier of submarines to the U.S. Navy. Name this company, whose current CEO is former CIA officer Phoebe Novakovich. Oh, what's the name of that one that's the military industrial complex personified, basically. I I don't know, know if that I, describes just one defense contractor. I, that's that's fair. That's true. There's yeah. one though that comes to mind immediately that I can't like. I I have the feel of its name in my head, but I don't have. I feel like there's a color in its name. It's like Blackwater or something, but that might that also could be like a Jason Bourne like operative yeah, name. Like, <laughs> like, like, that's nothing. Blackwater. Those were like. That's old. Military mercenaries, essentially. Yeah, okay. So it's like, something. My brain is yeah. like nothing, but that's yeah. not the company. What's the... World's five largest defense contractors. Yeah. 94. Electric boat. Obviously, okay. many changes in business operations. I think of, what about, like, airplane companies, like Lockheed Martin. Sure. Boeing. Mm-hmm. Electric boat subsidiary. It would not be Airbus, because that's, what, French foreign mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his current ceo is i mean boeing kind of sounds like a boat <laughs> sure boat and then ing, there's a journey there it could go on and we're boating around we're though. boating around in our electric boat um yeah, i feel like i would know that boeing does more submarines i would have thought that i would know that also but also why why would i know that mm-hmm. despite many changes in its business when was this founded this company 1899. 1899. Okay, so it could it could be an airplane menu. Like it could be something else because 1899 is well before flight. So not well before, but enough mm-hmm. before that they could have changed a lot since. It could be something like Lockheed Martin because they do other things too. Yeah, but I feel like if it was Lockheed Martin, it'd be like Lockheed Rice Martin. Which one's got headquarters in? A lot of the submarines are made in Connecticut. Which one's got headquarters in Connecticut? I don't know. I used to live in Massachusetts. I should know. But I don't. Do I just go with Lockheed Martin or Boeing or maybe there's something else there too. There's definitely something that's got Connecticut roots, like a like an airplane company. I'm literally like surrounded by the net. There's like there's like five navy bases around me. I have no idea. Who makes all your submarines? Yeah. Gotta make some. I just shouted out the window. <laughs> <laughs> One of your neighbors, probably. Somebody knows. Somebody here works on submarines. I honestly, I would rather just say Boeing, just because the boat sure. and Boeing sound the same. And Lockheed Martin, I feel like the name yeah. Rice would somewhere be. That's true. It does definitely. Lockheed Martin feels like people names. Right. Yeah. Okay. Go Boeing. We'll go Boeing. All right. 
Good try, but not correct. The best of Vince. Sorry, what was the guess? Lockheed Martin? Boeing, I said, right? Boeing. Okay. Yeah. So it's remarkable how chess-centric this question is. Thank you, Yogesh. <laughs> so I don't know much about U.S. defense, but since it said the company evolved, it doesn't necessarily mean it could have been acquired. It could have joined another company that was larger. And to use, to keep the name Electric Boat as a nod to Electric, I believe General Electric has a defense department. Now, are they as low as number 94? That seems a little low. But if we're just talking defense, if they carved it out, but then my other guess would be the only defense company I know is Halliburton. But I thought they did tanks. But going with the whole electric theme, I'm going to say General Electric. Interesting. I run a contest every year on April 1st, what I call April Facts Day, to have people send me the most interesting facts they know. And one of the ones that, I'm not sure if it won, but came very close to winning was that General Mills was a defense contractor at one point, like the ones who make the cereals. I think Alvin or like one of the famous submersibles was made by General Mills. But the word general is kind of, you were, on the, you were, you were half right with, with the general part. Um, general Dynamics. So the clue I embedded in here, despite many changes in its business operations, what's another word for many changes? Dynamic. Mm. General dynamics, yeah. Yeah, they actually were founded when Electric Boat merged with Canadair, which was owned by the Canadian government, which they later sold off. But that was what resulted in General Dynamics being formed. So it was half Canadian at its onset. But yeah, General Dynamics. Wild. <laughs> All right, and now to end this penultimate round, we'll have Vincent Aaron to try and steal from Jimmy. In Hawaii, it's common to give directions, in other words, to tell people how to get places, using the terms mauka and maoli. Oh, anyway, uh, broadly speaking, which two directions are designated by those terms? Okay, good. I am trying to think about, in Hawaii, what would be useful directions, right? Like, if you're in Pittsburgh, you tell people you live uphill or downhill. Right. Like if you're in Chicago, you're going towards the lake or away from the lake. Like I'm thinking geographically. So towards the sea and away from the sea, like inland and shore words. I like your thinking that it's not north, south, east, west. Yeah. What about if Mao, like Mauna Loa? Oh, like I up mountain. A, I can see uphill, downhill. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are Lee. all, they're the volcanic islands. And so they're all hilly. Okay. I like that uphill, downhill because Mauna Loa. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm happy with so that. that's our uphill, yeah. downhill. Uphill, downhill. Okay, I went again. I will I will think that over while passing it to Jimmy. Yeah, I mean, you would say, I mean, normally, instead of Maui, you probably do Mauka and Makai. Um, and then if you guys know, like, Kai, you basically, like, thinking about the sea. So it would be basically mountains or seaward, basically. And in that way, kind of uphill, downhill. Yeah, I'd be mad I, about it. <laughs> I think I gave, yeah, I gave the last one to Jimmy, so I think I'll I'll uh, split things toward Vince and Aaron here, even though, I mean, I, I usually as a principle, the more kind of vague the answer line is, the more latitude I give on it. So even though technically, you know, what Jimmy said is more correct, I'll give the points to Vince and Aaron. It says broadly right. speaking. They spoke broadly. We did. <laughs> Quite <laughs> deliberately. <laughs> yes. Yes. Unlike the last time when you gave too much information. <laughs> We've learned our lesson. There we go. I'll reward uh, learning. My next answer is, it's a noun. <laughs> <laughs> I just played my COQL match earlier today, and that's definitely a strategy we, we always use. We start like, mm. these are all people. <laughs> start and broad. 
Yeah, I wait to be prompted. All right. So right now, Vince is in the lead, 24.3. Right behind him is Aaron at 21.1. Then Jimmy at 12.2. Now comes the super hard round, the final round, and the most difficult one. The questions are worth six points as a steal, five points as specialist, three as a bonus. And we'll begin with Vince and Jimmy to try and steal from Aaron. Which UK celebrity chef and majority shareholder in Norwich City FC baked the cake featured on the cover of the 1969 Rolling Stones album, Let It Bleed? In the British press, the phenomenon where a celebrity recommendation makes a previously obscure product into an overnight success is called the X effect, with X being her first name. In other words, the blank effect with her first name going in the blank. If it's first name, this has to be Nigella Lawson. She's sexy. She has a very good figure. Oh, 19... Bake the cake featured on 1969. Oh, she's not that old. So somebody else. I say old UK celebrity chefs and I go with Mary Berry. The Mary ah, effect. She's a home baker. 1969. So that's how long ago? So Mary Berry, she would be the phenomenon where celebrity recommendation makes a previously obscure product. The blank, the Mary Berry effect. The Mary effect? Yeah. And she's the only like UK celebrity chef who bakes cakes who would be like baking cakes in 1969, like alive and and doing her job. That I was think. she popular before Bake Off? I think so. That's I think that's why she got it. I think she was actually like the was she she was like the popular one of it. And enough enough money could it be something as simple as Julia Child? That would be timing wise. Would be would be correct. The Julia effect would people know Julia. I like Julia Child better than Mary Berry. I don't see the Mary effect. Mary is too too common. I like the Julia effect better than the Mary effect, but I also am like, who would be would Julia Child be a majority shareholder in Norwich City FC? Well, what was her husband's job? I saw Julia and Julia. What did uh, Stanley Tucci do for a living? He had a lot of money because they could live in Paris and London. Was it in investments? Because then he could have just bought it on their behalf. I, I, I just, I can't see Mary Berry being on Rolling Stone. She's so prim and proper. There's another chef before Nigella. There was, oh, what's her name? Her first name is Delia. The Delia, Delia effect. effect. Does she make Would cookies? Because if Aaron's thing was cookies, did she make cookies? She's more like, a, she had like her cooking show. She wrote cookbooks. She wasn't, I don't think, baking specific. And I don't think she was as rich as Julia Child. I just uh, I like and the then, Julia thing, though. That sounds fun. But I, I, I don't know if she has the pull that Julia Child has. I just I feel like I would have known if Julia Child, be like, hey, do you know that Julia Child, not only was she a spy in World War II, she also baked a cake featured on the cover of the 1969 Rolling Stones album, Let It Bleed. You'd be like, oh, wow. She did, like do, she did do food styling at one point in the movie. She did. So she knows how to make food look good on camera. I just don't think Delia or even, well, Nigella's too young. She would certainly qualify if that's at 89 or 99. And a phenomenon, I don't see any other British chef having a phenomenon outside of like now Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay. But in those days, British cuisine was a joke. And it would make more sense that it's a British chef doing French cuisine. And in the 70s, French cuisine was, was the rage. And do you know this album cover? What cake is this? Is it a French cake? Is it like a crook and bush? I think it's just I like, think it's like a yellow cake and it's cutting it in and it's like it's like saucy. So an English I cake, that sounds, like a, that, that sounds like a drizzle cake. 
So that would be a drizzle cake then, and they could make the the drizzle. Was it bread? Was it? I think. I think. I've, so, I've, I've, I can't in my mind picture 100% what it looks like, but I think. But just given the timeline, I would say Julia Child. And but, why Julia you know, fact. but why do you know Delia's first name only and not her last name? Well, I couldn't tell you the last. So do we only have to give the first name? In that case, we I'd only be willing to first name. It's just no, the it's X just effect for, with X. For, for real people, generally, yeah, like the last name is is required. I'm just going to put a, a link. To, it's, it's, I mean, it's a podcast, so no, the audience will can't see it. But uh, I'll just, I, I think, I don't think that gives anything away. It's just a co oh, the cover okay. of the Rolling Stone album. Can I look at this? Can I click on yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, there's like a tire. It's on a record. Some little little banjo people on top. Oh, this is Julia Child. You're it's doing Julia it? Child. Let's do it. We'll she, she, was a, she was a food stylist, Julia Child. All right. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure Julia Child was American. Like she I was going to say, I thought that she was oh. an American spy. Yeah, she worked for the OSS, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. hell. She just talks, but she has, a, she has the voice that sounds almost British in the FX. Oh, hell. She's American. All right, so uh, Aaron, go ahead. Sorry. I have no idea. I'm sad that I you didn't get this right, because then I could have been like, oh, darn. Uh, no, I have no idea what this is. I don't know British celebrity chefs from this time period. I was trying to pull on, like, Norwich City FC. What would that have meant? Uh, no, I have absolutely no idea. We'll just go Smith again. Okay, so the effect that I'm referencing here is, in fact, called the Delia effect. Uh, oh, hell. Vince was thinking of that ah. person, although I wouldn't have accepted just Delia. I would have required yeah. a last okay. name. And, you know, again, we're, we have, you know, two of your educators talking about learning lessons. And, you know, I think early on, Aaron, learn the, you know, the reason I, I have the Jamie Smith. people guess, you know, if it's you don't, Smith. if you don't know the last name, just guess a generic one. Her name was Delia Smith. Oh, oh my God. Smith pays off. <laughs> I think you do one of those every, 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 every rat, like, Every tournament or whatever. You gotta have one Smith. You throw one in. Yeah. Smith or a Johnson. Yeah. Oh, you want to reward people for strategy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Delia Smith. I'm claiming a moral Delia victory. Plus, Sorry. Plus, like I feel Sorry, like Julie. you gotta feel half of England's called Smith at some point, right? Like yeah, especially the sixties. If it's Welsh, go with Jones. But yeah, otherwise, sure, sure, yeah. sure. sure. Oh, I would have remembered Smith. Though. All right. So pure. Oh, uh, Lordy. A pure chess question now for Vince. So for uh, Jimmy and Aaron to steal. The one B3 opening in chess, in other words, White's first move being to move the B pawn forward one space, is named for which 20th century Danish grandmaster? At his peak in the 60s and 70s, he was considered the second strongest non-Soviet player in the world, behind only Bobby Fischer, and he was the most prominent male chess player to come out of Scandinavia until the emergence of Magnus Carlsen. Oh boy, I don't know chess at all. No, Smith is out. Smith is out. Yeah, for sure. We Smith gotta go out. like, like, you know, Samuelson or it's something sin for sure. <laughs> I know Spassky, but he's Russian. I know Fisher, but he's American. I know Gary Kasparov, but he is Russian. There endeth my chess knowledge. I know how to play chess. <laughs> I, I know enough to correct chess boards when I see them in public and they are set up incorrectly, which is more often than not. But I don't. All right, let's just come up with a generic sounding Danish name. Yeah, we've maybe. got uh, we got Samuelson. Sure, uh, Samuelson. Can... Maybe maybe Niels Bohr had a chess playing nephew or something. Oh yeah, it's a lot of bees in there. The B three opening with the B pawn. There's sure. not. A lot. It's just literally the. the <laughs> 
that's, just describing the movie. It's just describing what it is. Mm, Nielsen, um, Larson, um, Olafsson. That's too Norwegian. I like I like Nielsen. I Nielsen's like Nielsen. nice. Well, Nielsen's yeah, Nielsen. Nielsen, lock it in. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess that'd be the spelling with the en at the end because that's how of the course. Danish. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. What do you think, Vitz? I think Aaron came this close. You said it just now. So, and it is a B, but that's his first name. His first name is Bent, and his last name is Larson. Ah. Oh. So it's Bent Larson. It is. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. I guess another Scandinavian, well, I guess a Scandinavian grandmaster since then is Pia Kramling, whose daughter Anna Kramling is one of the most popular chess Twitch streamers. That's, I think, po- past the- Of course people stream Twitch chess. That's great. Yeah. I, I like the internet sometimes. <laughs> that's pa- I've asked many questions about Twitch chess before, but Vin specifically requested pre-1985 chess. I, I don't like Gary Kasparov, and I stopped. I stopped following. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> Kasparov fans. <laughs> I know I've missed out on Carlson, so that's my bad. Okay, I think uh, stealing from Jimmy now. Of the 37 doctors of the church, I started, I, this came out of a conversation I was having with Kate where she criticized the messy handwriting on manuscripts from the medieval era. And I was like, well, they were all doctors then, so, you know. <laughs> okay, of the 37 doctors of the church recognized by the Roman Catholic Church, only four are women. Out of those four, only one live recently enough that we have photographs of her. St. Therese, not to be confused with Teresa of Avila, who is also a doctor of the church or Mother Teresa. Name either the French town where St. Therese lived in a cloistered Carmelite community from the age of 15 until her death from tuberculosis at 24, and where a basilica dedicated to her draws more than 2 million visitors each year, or give the two-word English-language epithet, with neither word being her name, by which she is commonly known. If I were a lover of wordplay, and I am, I would note that the two-word epithet is homophonous with something that, based on her categories, Erin might find to be of limited use. Oh, fascinating. I don't know what that last bit is, but this is St. Therese of Lesieux. This is conveniently my confirmation name. Uh, And she's called the little flower. Oh, flower, baking, cute. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's St. Therese of Lisieux. Yeah, and I'll con- I'll confirm that because St. Therese Lisieux's art of uh, relics came to our local church and I sang and performed at that mass. That's so cool. I do know I do know it's Lisieux as well. Sorry, Joby. <laughs> Yogesh, I'd just like to confirm they are correct on this one. <laughs> yeah, there was a Catholic school in my hometown called Little Flower, and I never <laughs> knew where that name came from. Yeah. Really sure Literally, I think I have that picture, the, the picture that you referenced doing. It's somewhere in my childhood bedroom somewhere, right? Because it was, you know, confirmation card, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Some, after, yeah, after I mentioned that on my blog, someone sent me a link to a tweet where they tweeted a picture of Therese of Lisieux dressed up as Joan of Arc for a play. And they were like, this is the only picture of a saint dressed up as another saint. That's pretty good. Yeah. I was like, okay, well. I mean, that might not be a full, like, you know, canonization step, but it's got to (laughs) help. Yes. All right. I don't know. Let's let's do an ad hoc bonus. Do you know what the name of her sister who is, uh, oh, what is the term? I'm suddenly blanking on the term they use for people who aren't quite a saint. Uh, Who's like, uh, like blessed or? Servant, servant, servant of God. That's what I'm looking for. Do you remember the name of her sister who has been given the title servant of God? No, it's the one that wrote everything physically mm-hmm. or did, did the editing, right? When she's like, oh. Also, Blissier? 
I mean, Lysia wasn't her surname. It was the place she was, was from. Yeah. So yeah. was the sister also? But like right? something up Lysia. You're gonna need more than the, more than that. I don't know. Who wrote things down? Ursula. No, you don't yeah. So Jimmy, you don't uh, uh no, I I literally Oh it's Jimmy, sorry. Yes, yeah. it's, it's I have her little book. It's not on me. I'd be able to see it. I'd be like, oh here it is. I don't know. <laughs> Like right. Mary Catherine or something. Mm, no, yeah. not. Uh, at least her birth name I was uh, Leone Martin. I think she was also in my sister Francoise Therese. Yeah, um, yeah. Francoise. Yeah. All right. So I personally was not familiar with her until fairly recently, but it looks like all of you were. But I think you're all a lot more Catholic in your uh, backgrounds than I am. <laughs> I could sing you the song. Yeah. Song. <laughs> I, I was. I was educated by evangelicals, so like I know mm. the the Protestant side pretty well, mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. not the Catholic. quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah. the little quite the beyond. little way. Just do little things all the time. <laughs> yeah, the little stuff. Do it well. All right, Vincent, Jimmy, to try and steal from Aaron. What title song from a 1985 rock album is featured in all of the following classic TV episodes? I could have been a defendant from Due South, a Canadian series. Out where the buses don't run from Miami Vice. Start the series finale of the Americans and two cathedrals from the West Wing. Okay, so 1985 title, so title track. So these are all are these all the, the Americans? Two cathedrals. <clears throat> so who's popular in '85? And do you think rock naturally means like heavier rock, or although Miami Vice doesn't really go heavy rock, do they? Yeah. So something more like. Springsteen like or John Cougar or right. Uh, I mean or, I mean nineteen eighty five sounds like the time that Born in the USA is there and like Born in the USA would be something that like could go with So he didn't like to license yeah. out his songs. So he didn't like to yeah. give out his songs, did he? But I, somebody yeah, I, don't, I, I know ZZ Top, who are some rock bands? Nineteen eighty five. Titles and it's gotta be a title track. So 85. So let's see, 84. So Michael Jackson is, so who's against Michael Jackson at that time? Kind yeah. of like well, I think that competing against a rock him. album. I think Fortunate Son is too early for 1985. Yeah. Is it too early for Bon Jovi? But Bon Jovi's album names are not really at that time slippery when wet now. Who else? Title song from a rock album. Boston had their one song there, Amanda, but that. Wasn't the name of the album. Uh, who else? How about British, a British rock band? Could it be a, a Beastie Boys? Would that be considered rock or rap? No, Beastie Boys would be rap. Okay, so. so Aerosmith, would they, did they already come back by then? Yeah, Aerosmith would be 1985. So let's see, they had, a, they had an album called Pump. I don't remember, that. like their big song's crazy. Uh, Jenny got a gun. I can't think of an album. What? Um, what? Wait a second. I could have been. What's what's up? Obviously, we've got like American Pie. We've got like Buffalo Springfield. Those are 70s, right? American Pie is like 78 or something. And then so, Buffalo Springfield songs are also like 78-ish, 70s, right? They're not the 80s. Yeah, you have to go. You have to go a little bit. Do South is a Canadian show. Could it be a Canadian band? They didn't just do Canadian music, but they tried to favor Canadian music. That would be 80s. And it could be a single artist. It's not necessarily a band. Mm-hmm. Brian, Brian Adams. So Brian Adams. So 85, I was still, was I, was I still in high school? 
Summer of 69? The album was called Reckless, the big album. Before that, he had Pets Like a Knife, which was a title track, but I I can't see that getting onto the West Wing. Mm -hmm. After Reckless, oh boy, looking up there. Could it be a soundtrack from a movie? No, they wouldn't do a soundtrack to another soundtrack. So could it be a female artist? I Love Rock and Roll. That's a title track from Joan Jett. Mm-hmm. You know, she she needs money. So they didn't do too well after that album. She could have sold out. But would that get on to it's not is it cool enough to be in Miami Vice? Billy, Billy Idol. Oh, Billy Idol, Rebel mm-hmm. Yell is a title track. 85 is about right. That's a high school song. That would definitely be considered rock. It kind of holds up well. Who else is rock? More classic rock, Billy Joel. Elton, Elton John didn't really have yeah title I mean, tracks his albums were were they usually named for songs not so much i don't think billy joel because what's when there. is when is like we didn't start the fire i think that's a little after eight well maybe but was that the name of I the could album see that, i could see that in being in a bunch of different tv episodes it's a very well that's true is it canadian enough i could have been a defendant could have been a defendant the best is to start did you see the Americans? Didn't start the fire. I didn't start the fire. That's, I was almost a defendant. I was accused I, of arson. I, I just can't. I can't see an album title big. We didn't start the fire. Can you see the? Can you? If you can see the album cover, okay. Because we didn't start the fire mentions Michael Jackson's hair going on fire. Was that '85? So that happened pretty recently. It's it's around. It's close. But like Billy Joel had he had an album. Was it called Glass Houses? That was the that was the big one. We didn't start the fire was a little later. Like I think we didn't start the fire was post Christy Brinkley in the videos. So I see that later eighties. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to kind of move toward locking something. Okay, in. I I would say Billy Idol Rebel Yell because I know it's a title track for sure. All right, we'll lock it. In. All right, Aaron, and sitting very patiently. I believe that this is cooler, like like chiller rock than y'all oh. were leaning towards what I would classify as like cool dad rock, which is, I want to say it's by Dire Straits. Uh, it's the song Brothers in Arms. Uh, yeah. It's like over like the last like segment of this series finale. It's very like epic and like lots of Mark Knopfler noodling on the guitar. Yeah. Trying to set a really emotional tone, I think, mm-hmm, in all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Brothers in Arms. It's a great song. Yeah. And uh, to nudges Aaron, we've had a back and forth between Aaron and Vince, but that nudges Aaron into the lead as we go into Aaron and Jimmy trying to steal from Vince. Traditionally, all curling stones are supposed to be made from Rebeckite granite quarried from Elsa Craig, a now uninhabited island found in a firth at the mouth of which river? All right. Scottish rivers. The firth of Forth there is, is the a only firth, of firth, firth that I think of. Yeah, but is it the river forth? There is a river forth, but like, would there be an uninhabited island that close to Edinburgh? I want to say there's a river Clyde, but that might be just a Scottish name that my brain has generated and said, this is a thing. Isla Craig, I think just mean rock. Two rock questions in a row. Yeah. <laughs> rock and roll rocks from an island. There is definitely, I think it is the River Forth. So that is an option for sure, because there is definitely a Firth there. I don't know why my brain would have come up with Clyde if that wasn't a real river, but yeah, I'm not going anywhere else. It's yeah, definitely I Scotland. Got, for sure I Scotland. Got, I, yes. So 
I don't I don't have I don't have anything. I don't have any other Scottish rivers. I've been to Scotland. I know I it's don't lovely. know lovely names. It's great. Yeah. Their place names are actually all fantastic because they're yeah. literally just like like you're like, oh what's that place called? And it's just like, oh, it's called like Hill Rock because there's rock on a hill. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what's the next place thing. called? The river, because there's a river. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to go with? I just go with fourth. I just say it. I just go with the obvious. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. All right, go fourth. You're going fourth with fourth. All right. Uh, Vince? So I get nothing if I say their answer and they're right, right? Right, yeah. There's no incentive to copy their answer. Okay, so that would have been my guess. I really have no idea. A river name came to mind. I don't even know if this river exists or if it's in England or if it's just in my imagination. But I will say it because why not? Is there such a river called the Tyne River? T-Y-N-E. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, that is a river because Newcastle's full name is Newcastle upon Tyne. But that's as in England. Yeah. So, I mean, as Firths go, the Firth of Forth is, I think, far and away the most famous. But, you know, this is a super hard round. Yeah, this island is actually found in the Firth of Clyde. Oh, you cut it. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm man. so sorry, Aaron. Hey, you were right to go with what was obvious. Like there was a very real chance that I had just, <laughs> you just it popped in there. But it's Clyde okay, was from nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Clyde is also like the name of one of like the Pac-Man ghosts, right? So like it could have just been, you know, here you go, Pinky, Blinky, <laughs> Pinky, and Clyde. Yep, maybe maybe he's Scottish. All right. Yeah, I think there's only two places in the world that stones for curling can be quarried from. One is Elsa Craig. The other is in Wales somewhere. I don't remember off the top of my head what it's called. But uh, all right. Next question, Vincent Aaron to try and steal from Jimmy. So I will begin by reading a brief poem with a certain name redacted and replaced with X. So forth from her land to mine she goes. The island made the island rose. Light of heart and bright of face, the daughter of a double race. Her islands here in southern sun shall mourn there, X, gone, and I, in her dear banyan shade, look vainly for my little maid. But our Scots islands far away shall glitter with unwanted day, and cast for once their tempest by, to smile in X's eye. So wrote Robert Louis Stevenson in a poem dedicated to which half-Scottish Hawaiian princess, who was heir apparent to her aunt, Queen Lilio Kalani, at the time the Hawaiian monarchy was overthrown by the so-called Committee of Safety in 1893. Unable to restore the monarchy or prevent U.S. annexation, she boycotted the annexation ceremony, but did host a grand luau in 1898 for Sanford Dole and others, in which she lobbied for favorable terms for her people in the Hawaiian Organic Act of 1900. She never got to see the passage of that act, passing away at age 23, at her royal estate. Ainahau, a Sheraton Resort hotel built on the site of that estate, currently bears her name. Well, at least capitalism didn't get its grubby hands on it. Oh, sorry. God. Just before we go into this, was I supposed to get some kind of question after that last one? They didn't There's... get it. They oh, they didn't get it. So, so okay. So I'm yeah. just okay. So I have no idea about Hawaiian. If if they had Milky. gotten it, by the way, the question would have been, where is that place oh. in Wales, Wales that you can quarry granite curling stones from? Oh, forget uh, it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what is her name? Is There's there a, a variation shit. on the queen's name here? Lilio Kalani. I mean, that's literally the only Hawaiian monarch name that I was maybe ever going to be able to come up with, and I don't know that I could have come up with it. Like, if we, kept it. The, if we kept the Uoka Lani, yeah. and this chain, is there anything that springs to mind with... No. With... Uh, mm. The other way to get it is from the name of the resort? Yeah. Have you been... No. <laughs> no. 
I've not been to Hawaii. I've been to California twice. That's the furthest west I've gone. Actually, that's not true. Alaska's further west, and I've been to Alaska. But okay. Well, Robert Louis Stevenson also is going to want to have a nice pattern to his verse. So I can backtrack here into the poem. Her islands here and southern sun shall mourn their dawn. And I and her dear banyan shade look vainly for my little maid. Daughter of a noble race. Okay, shall mourn their... Shall mourn their... Island made the island rose. Shall mourn their... So we want it to be a da-da-da-da. We want it to be... This is not super helpful to people who don't talk in poetic meter, but it's we want it to be two trochies. Wait, what uh, the like a like a stress unstressed stress unstressed to fit into the mind. like would one da, 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 da. yeah yeah would even like the lily o that, lily uh, the queen's name fit lily sounds... no it's too long uh, it's too long so it has to could it be the name of a place in hawaii dun, 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 dun. like they named an island after her or they named the town and the estate has the same name as maybe as mm-hmm. um can we figure out where she where this where this resort is like if it's on and it's 18 yeah i mean uh, it's when the yeah it's when the the fruit and sugar plantation folks colonized hawaii and decided that they were going to be in charge of it uh, so is this person considered like very famous like would a typical American history student know this? I no. I mean, I don't think the typical American history student would have heard of Lilio Kalani even unfortunately. We all know yeah, how much they emphasize, they emphasize indigenous history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We spend definitely a lot of time on that and definitely not just the first like two weeks of it and then never mentioning it again as if Native Americans ceased to exist in 16 Mayflower year. Oh, gosh. Da, 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 da. So we have not really a clue. No. So 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 her. <laughs> I've got a meter. Been, she could not have possibly been named after her aunt exactly. Like she um, couldn't have no. the same name. Okay. So if we rule that out, then could it be a place? My guess would be figure out a, a place, an island, and hopefully it has the same name as her estate. Yeah. Or if you know some kind of song, like a, an anthem, or a, which I have no clue. I don't. I the, literally I, the only like I know like a couple of the islands names and I know the capital is Honolulu and that's all I got. Do you want to say like sorry what was that last Honolulu? The capital is Honolulu but there's simply no way that there's a Sheridan resort. Yeah. Just well, called Sheridan um, Honolulu. Yes. I mean no, I the, guess the, there the, could be but like it wouldn't be like yeah it's a Honolulu's like a city. Well you know what what do we have to lose? We can't guess uh, anything true. else. Honolulu. Yeah. All Go right. For it. All right, you've been pretty patient, Jimmy. You want to weigh in? I was gonna, I was gonna, I knew this was coming up, and I was like, all right, I'll just like remember, I'll cram my Hawaiian monarchy names, and then I didn't, and then I didn't at all because <laughs> of other things. And so I'm like, I, I can literally, I can literally see her. They did a, they did a, a version of the Nutcracker in Honolulu, where in fact she was the. Like the the, the princess, oh, like princess. Got the nutcracker instead of Clara, you have her. That's fun. Uh, instead of Clara, you had her, and I am completely blanking on on her name. But it's yeah. If you ever look in Hawaiian history, there's a lot of it. Really fits with the theme because every single time you would have a sort of democratically elected monarch who's like, "I'm going to do well for my people," and then they died young, <laughs> tragically. Yeah. Uh, 
I can't come up with it right now. Yeah, I guess we're back on the the women who tragically died young team. It's not Bernice Palahi, but that's what I will say, even though I know that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. There was a movie made about her, I think, 2009, starring Koryanka Kilcher, who, who also played Pocahontas in The New World, kind of typecast there. And I think Erin actually kind of has the right sort of pronunciation or, you know, the, the meter of the name. It's Kayulani. That would fit with Stevenson's meter. So he did good with the poetry. That was good. Yeah, good. Yeah, good inference there. All that right. didn't help, but... Yeah, I guess if you'd gone... Yeah, if like Iolani Palace is a big thing there, so that mm. kind of gives you half the name. But yeah, it's it's difficult to fraud Hawaiian names without sounding pretty offensive very quickly. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're down to the last triad of questions. Each of you will get one more specialist question and two more chances to steal. And right now, Aaron is nursing a very slight lead over Vince. Okay, so this question is for Vince and Jimmy to try and steal from Aaron. Neil Gaiman's 2003 short story, A Study in Emerald, was first published in Shadows Over Baker Street, an anthology of works that mash up the world of Sherlock Holmes and the Cthulhu mythos of H.P. Lovecraft. Gaiman's story is narrated by a war veteran recently injured in Afghanistan who shares lodgings with a London consulting detective. We are intended to initially assume that this character is Dr. Watson, but over the course of the story, it becomes clear that it is not. Indeed, on the final page, the manuscript is signed by someone with the initials S.M., who is S.M.? What's his name? The bad guy? The witch guy? In all the Sherlock Holmes stories, the other genius. Mor- Mori- Moriarty? Yeah. He's Moriarty's first initial I in thought it was. I thought it was James based on the TV show. I thought it was hmm. James, but that would, that would make... So a war veteran recently in Afghanistan. Cheers. If we don't come up with anything else, that oh, we are our fallback. Uh, that um, could, he had a oh no, the girlfriend was. I I don't know Sherlock Holmes that well. I I know the TV show Elementary a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the girlfriend was Irene Adler. So it's could it be a woman? Would that have been the twist that we all assumed it was a man, and then it was then it was really a, a woman, but shares the lodgings with a London consulting detective. Yeah, that would seem to. But I mean, it is modern, right? If it's recently injured in Afghanistan. Yogesh, do we have to provide the initial S as well? Uh, no, no. You can just, yeah, do. Actually, I guess if it's a fictional character, technically you can do either first or last name by itself. Okay. Are there any real people who would fit the bill? Yeah. Any real people who would be SM or again, anybody sort of in the Cthulhu mythos. Like is Arthur Conan Doyle his real name? I think so. Because could it? If it's a pen name, it could have been the author. SM, gosh, the only SM I could think of is Samuel Morse. But what time, Afghanistan, do they mean like now Afghanistan? Like I, Afghanistan? Think, I think so, uh, if it's like a mashup. I think it so, so if it's... Modernize it. So if it's a real person from current times, we're not sure if it's a man yet, right? Although if they thought it was Dr. Watson, it would be a shock if it weren't a man. Yeah, but it doesn't. But it says it, it's. It becomes clear that it is not. But it's not. It's only a short story, so they could hide that it's a woman, another writer of the time. I like the fact that it's Moriarty because that could be the twist. Like maybe he was there to kill Sherlock Holmes or something. He was there just to gain information on him. Mm-hmm. That would make a good. That would make a good story. That's kind of all I have in terms of the M. I'm just. I'm. I'm still thinking of just like cool things, and I'm not really and, coming. Up with and and maybe it's even things. a descendant of Moriarty. Yeah. So it doesn't, or, you know, so a relative or somebody just, so if we, if we can get away with just saying Moriarty, I'm happy with that. 
Let's do it. Moriarty. All right. Yeah. So, so it's a fun fact in the the new Sherlock series, when it said in the present day, or you know, when it aired in the present day, Watson was a veteran recently injured in Afghanistan. In the original Sherlock Holmes story, Watson was a, a veteran recently injured in Afghanistan. Turns out there's been war in Afghanistan for always. Oh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Aaron. I, th- this was the, I mean, uh, the the minor spoiler alert for the Neil Gaiman story, A Study in Emerald, which is a brilliant story. But the major twist at the end is that Holmes and Watson are the bad guys and that our heroes are, I think, Moriarty. And the problem is I can't remember if it's SM is Moriarty or if the other one is Moriarty, if the consulting detective is Moriarty. Oh, so I, I don't have anything else, unfortunately. All right, yeah. You want to guess Smith again? <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely not Smith. We'll go Morse. <laughs> yeah, so um, again, you know, this is a super hard round. So yes, you're right. The twist is that the London consulting detective who this person is basically kind of the sidekick to is Moriarty. Yeah, uh, Jam- but then what's their name? Yeah, uh, James Moriarty, I think, both in the original canon and in the, the Sherlock mm-hmm. series. They keep calling him Jim. <laughs> yeah, his uh, right-hand man appears in the story The Adventure of the Empty House, which is the story where Sherlock Holmes basically came back from the dead after Conan Doyle killed him off. There was such an outcry that he eventually had to, to bring him back. And in that story, his right-hand man is Colonel Sebastian Moran. Mm. Oh. It was a deep cut Sherlock Holmes and Neil Gaiman crossover question. I mean, it's a fairly famous Neil Gaiman story, right? It is. And I've read it multiple times and I could not have told you that that was that guy's name. Hmm. All right. Super hard round lives up to its billing. (laughs) I mean, it's literally, I think it's until the last paragraph where you're just like, well, this is Holmes and Watson. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, it's not. It's very fun. Yep. Okay. Penultimate question of the game. This is stealing from Vince. When I was in film school at USC, my then-girlfriend and I befriended the instructor of the multi-camera production class. I recognized him from Nick at Night reruns due to his role as orthodontist Jerry Robinson on The Bob Newhart Show, referenced in the previous episode, which hasn't been edited yet. And I also discussed with him a paper I wrote about Haskell Wexler's Medium Cool, in which he had a supporting role, which I discussed in episode 40 of this podcast. Of course, he was additionally eminent in the field where he was hired to teach sitcom directing, with credits including Home Improvement, Friends, and Murphy Brown. For the latter show, Murphy Brown, he got a DGA award for helming the episode where Murphy discovers she's pregnant, and an Emmy nod for You Say Potato, I Say Potato, in which Murphy responds to criticism of her lifestyle from Vice President Dan Quayle. But my most vivid memory of those days is the time I was trying to find his classroom, and I had to convince some tittering students who worked in the facilities office that he was in fact a real person, because both his first and last name could potentially be interpreted as references to male genitalia. Name him. Okay. I don't... My thing is, I don't understand how we're stealing from Vince on this one. (laughs) But obviously... Okay, I think of like... I think of like Mary Tyler Moore and that references mm-hmm, me to like mm-hmm, Dick Van mm-hmm. Dyke. So I think his mm-hmm. first name is Dick. Definitely Dick. Like, what is his last name? Or maybe his last name is Dick. Is his um, name Dick Johnson? Dick Johnson. Dick Johnson. Johnson's a name. Johnson's can... a name. Dick is a name. Yeah. Um, what? Just, yeah, I'm trying to come up with other things that would meet the, the clue that would function as last names. What if it's like Dick Jewels? Because it's like the family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nuts. Dick Nuts is a very funny name. Dick Nuts is a hilarious name. And just like, what was what his parents thinking if that's his name? What's on your SAG card? Richard Nuts. <laughs> oh, that would be, yeah. There, there's a SAG pun there as well, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, 
true. It's true. It's a lot of layers of, yeah. Okay. I say, I guess we can say Dick Johnson and just. That feels like the namiest of the names. It's the namiest of the names. Yeah. Let's just go with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think once I once I started with the little flower, I opened the door to puns, and this <laughs> the pun door flew open. <laughs> there we go. All right, Vince. I guess you're a very naughty boy. <laughs> uh, so we'll go with the first name, which is Peter, and the last name. So if you've seen the Bob Newhart show, not Newhart in the Inn, but where he's the psychiatrist, they have a they share an off. Oh boy, <laughs> I know what the show. I know it's a show. So curly-haired playboy dentist who always comes in with the fabulous weekend news. Last name, I'll do the polite pronunciation, Bonners, B-O-N-E-R-Z. So he does, in fact, pronounce it Bonners. That's that's both the the, the polite and the, I guess, accurate to how he uses it. But certainly when you see it written out, that's not the way your mind reads it. No. I oh, never God. actually thought about it until just now <laughs> that, that, that you could do that to his name. So that's really quite unfortunate for him. Now I can't unsee that from the credits. You can't you. unsee it. You can't no. unsee it anymore. I can't. Well, I never saw it it's in 30, 35 years. I never saw it. And now it's just burned in there as a mental image. I always had a theory that people whose names are genitalia related are more likely to go into comedy as a career. Like They have t- to. Yeah, like Tim Allen's real name is Tim Dick. I think maybe one of the, the edge cases there is Garfunkel and Oates, Kate Micucci. Oh. <laughs> but, um, Just truly a lot. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a little late, late at night. for. Anyway, this is uh, Recreational Thinking After Dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, final question. I'm I'm going to edit it slightly, keeping it at the level of difficulty as the others for uh, Vince and Aaron to try and seal from. Oh, and that, I guess that would have been the one, because Vince and Aaron are on the same side of this one. So the previous one would be the one that would decide the game. And I think Vince, I think Vince won on that, but I'll look it over while you talk about this question. Uh, in 1965, British war film starring Kirk Douglas, Richard Harris, and Ulla Jacobson, Jacobson, dramatizes Operation Gunnerside, the 1943 commando raid in which Norwegian resistance fighters destroyed Vemork, a hydroelectric power plant that was being used by the Germans to produce heavy water. That movie, which was partially based on Newt Haukelid's memoir, Skis Against the Atom, is called The Heroes of X, where X is what region in southern Norway. Oh, boy. I know about I... this operation. I've read about it in a very interesting book that I read last year, but I don't know what region of Norway we're talking about. I don't know any region of Norway. So... I wonder if it's like alliterative, like it's the heroes of Hammershold or something like that. Yeah, that would be... uh, Sounds cool. Because, I mean, what can we say? Southern Norway, does that say... What does that mean? Um, Is there a ski ski resort? Mm, not mm, mm, mm. like uh where where were the winter olympics lillehammer lillehammer is, is that a region that's the only thing i know I that that's a I know. city but yeah. i mean there's no or reason that it? a region couldn't also be called that but um the heroes of lillehammer that's fun i'm happy to go with that because what are the choices the heroes of make something I mean, up or come up with an actual norwegian name <laughs> 
do we know where the mountains are in Norway? If there are mountains in South, Lillehammer is my, is my choice. I mean, they definitely, here's the thing, like they definitely, they dropped them in and then they cross country skied for like a couple days to this like Nazi outpost. And then they had to like scale a cliff down and then up again to break into this heavy water facility. It's like some next level. Like I'm not at all surprised that there's a movie based on it. I wouldn't be surprised if there were several movies based on it. It's very cool. There actually was a Norwegian movie made that actually had several of the actual commandos play themselves. That's awesome. And like, then, I think it, they all made it out also. Like, I think they all survived this, which is some next level. So, so this sounds like something that if they had the Olympic opening ceremonies, they would recreate this in the Winter Olympics. Oh, sure. Right? They would do some yeah, little tribute and some... Cinematic, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Haul out some I, of I have, I have nothing better... If there's skiing involved, as you say, Lola. Yeah, yeah, do it. All right, Jimmy, let me close us out. I have no idea. I'm going to say telemark. Yeah, so the reason I I cut off part of the question was because you actually said it. You said the correct answer earlier in the game when you mentioned the kind of skiing, which has, it has kind of the free hill, free hill from the Nordic skis, but Mm -hmm. the the shape of alpine skis and has the famous carved turn, which is its trademark. That's called telemark. Yeah, that's what I was guiding you to. It's a region. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I always thought it was a person. I thought it was a person who invented that landing. It's a, it's a region. Okay. Yep. All right. So yeah, Jimmy gets the, the points on that. And yes. Yeah, and but... and last wins, right? So like, <laughs> I, winner takes all. You do get the last spot in speaking at the end. But yeah, that was a, a titanic battle between Aaron and Vince. And Vince's knowledge of Peter Bonner's put him over the top. So the final score is 40.3 for Vince, 37.1 for Aaron, 17.2 for Jimmy. And now we can close out. Each of you will get a chance to say basically anything you want to about the world at large, about the game, about any combination of those things in any proportion, about anything you want to plug, anything that's on your mind. As long as it's not too long or offensive, it'll be kept in. And yeah, so we go in the order of the order where yeah, third place gets the last word. So we'll start with Vince. Well, first, I'd like to say thank you, Yogesh, for these amazing questions, all the preparation, the fantastic hosting. and and to uh, Aaron and Jimmy for making this a really fun evening. I have nothing to plug because I'm unemployed. And my, well, not unemployed, self-employed. So I can work whenever I want. My check from Jeopardy actually just came in today. I have to go and get it from UPS or wherever, FedEx or whatever. I would just like to say since, since I was on Jeopardy and my little humble stay, I've learned a lot about this quizzing community. It's, it's very impressive. Your knowledge base is mind-boggling and i was kind of wondering is there a place for me in it and i'm seeing i'm too old for this (laughs) and and i can't get my mind to function like that anymore so i'm going to take the same approach that i took to that game show as i do in life and just have a broad set of experiences and hopefully that and a half decent memory if not for names and for i don't know pictures that hopefully that will serve me well but I, I really enjoy being kind of a casual distant observer of this very interesting tight-knit close community and I wanted on the record that I predicted that some of you might be in other tournaments related to Jeopardy I'm just calling it now you know who you are and if I turn out to be right I told you so and that's all who knows? Yeah. And I mean, if you ever do want a referral to Learned League, I can give you one. I'm sure Aaron also would be mm-hmm. happy to. Yeah. All right. Aaron? It's fun. 
I, I, I'll similarly have nothing to plug. So a huge thank you to Yogesh for organizing a very fun little reunion of our, our Jeopardy day, which was a very fun day back in November. And then it's continued to sort of trickle on into being fun over and over again. I guess sort of my my only thing that I ever like to to promote is the idea of unironic enthusiasm, right? The idea that like, it's awesome to be into stuff, whether that's, you know, my queer students educating me about all the different flags they're bringing into school tomorrow, or whether that's the, you know, the band people putting together like the things, whether that's everything about curling and chess that I don't know, or a Hawaiian monarchy, it's cool to be into stuff. And I hope that everybody uh, gets to continue to do that. Yeah. I mean, if there's such a thing as a motto for this show, yeah, it's cool to be into stuff. We're definitely a good candidate. <laughs> All right, Jimmy. All right. Yes. Yogesh, thank you so much. This was an absolute blast. I really enjoyed it. In terms of me, for what I, I will plug is I will say that listening to a previous episode of your podcast, there was someone whose expert category was LeBron James. And now that LeBron James has officially passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the all-time points scored for the NBA, I'd like to point out that in the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate, I still side with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think that in these debates, he's very uh, underrepresented, underrecognized, and he's got an amazing set of things outside of basketball, as does LeBron James, mind you. But yes, so subscribe to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Substack. While you're at it, you can subscribe to my Substack. I don't have one. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll just throw one together by the time this podcast is edited. Does just Kareem so Abdul-Jabbar really have one? He yeah, does. Oh, he does. Yeah, he's very eloquent on it. Yes. Wow. Yes. Of course. I, yeah. Is. He writes about a wide range of issues, racism, about uh, entertainment. Uh, well, there we go. Yeah, he's a very eloquent writer. He also, in fact, wrote at least one novel, maybe more than one, about Professor Moriarty. Something he's, he and, he's the guy. And a uh, big shout out to my wife for letting me record a podcast for three hours uh, <laughs> instead of taking all the duty on the, you know, two year old and four month old. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I also, I mean, my, my, you know, write up on TV as well. I also come across Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, he, well, he was a character on Winning Time, but his, his guest appearance on Dave a year or so ago was very entertaining, and he was a writer on the revival of Veronica Mars. Also, yeah, very, very multi-talented, and also, I mean, kind of a personal hero of mine for multiple reasons, including sort of using the fame he got from playing a game to make larger statements and try to make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So thank you for joining this uh, unhinged little brat, as I've been termed in the reviews for this podcast. <laughs> Why are internet people so... <laughs> Who knows? All right. So uh, yeah, this has been episode four of season three of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shrout. Thanks for listening.